0: podcast chris is with me hello we're here to talk about stray dog the next in the kurosawa series of films Woo! and uh we are still we've still not watched past the uh final film the post-war box set that will be a while
1: no no but we, we we have skipped a movie for now um we've skipped the quiet duel that's because that movie was only released on DVD by some random ass company and uh, used copies because it's out of print are quite prohibitively expensive. And instead of trying to track down a a copy to watch by any means necessary, we have something like 20 movies still to go through. So we can we can try and come back and fill in these gaps later. So
0: I guess the Amazon search with Quiet Duel. There is one called The Silent Duel, which I assume is just a different translation. I guess $70, not $70, $7 Region 2.
1: What? Oh, Region 2. Yes. Ah, see. The
0: U.S. version is only $30.
1: Oh, that's it? Yeah. Well, why didn't we just spend $30 on a on a random movie? That's yeah. weird. <laughs> but, yeah, so we can come back to that. Either, you know, we pick it up and... Mail it across the country so we both watch it, or or something, or maybe yeah. Criterion surprises us.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, we've also I don't know if we mentioned this before, but there's another movie after or between Man Who Track On Tigers' Tales and No Regrets for You. It's called Those Who Make Tomorrow. I don't think that was ever released. According to this yeah. that, yeah, yeah, there's
1: there's no evidence that this has ever gotten. Uh, an English subtitled release in any country, so that 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 might never get gotten back to.
0: Uh, yeah, we're just gonna have to learn Japanese oh. and buy the Japanese DVD.
1: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we got plenty of other movies to go through. So missing two that we might be able to come back to later, I'm not too worried about that.
0: Yep. But this time, a stray dog or Tojiro Mifune. And Takashi Shimura are once again the lead characters, Koshiro Fune playing the role of Angie Sandberg in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and Takashi Shimura playing the role of Gary Cruz, presumably. <laughs> I'm not the show, but that's how I'm going from that kind of like But, Krez, would you like to break down the film?
1: Um, I would like to break down the film, but I'm going to open it with, with a feeling, a personal um, observation that will lead into this, if anyone had ever told me that there was a movie that was Toshiro Mifune and Takashi Shimura in a buddy cop film, I can tell you I would have watched this DVD that I I, I have owned for many years many, many years ago because it's Toshiro Mifune and Takashi Shimura in a buddy cop film. It is amazing. It's amazing. Um, so the story, so Toshiro Mifune... Is a rookie cop, plays Detective Murakami. He's greener than green. They don't tell you how long he's been on the job, but I would wager like maybe a couple weeks. Um,
0: Or maybe, you know, a couple months, but it's not very long. And he is uh, freshly back from the war.
1: Yes. Um, And he's a, he's a detective in the homicide division for what I assume was Tokyo PD. Uh, They didn't really specify the city that they were located in. But he is one day riding the bus, and apparently in 1949, the public transit systems were pig caravans where you just shoved as many goddamn people as you could into um, a small space. So while he's on the bus, squished in between 15 million other people, the only thing that he notices is this lady he squished up next to has the worst smelling perfume ever, and some dude pickpockets him and steals his service gun, a uh, a Colt. Not even It's not even a service revolver. Like, that was the, the words that wanted to come out, but it's not a revolver. <laughs> um, so thus begins Toshiro Mifune trying to – it's not so much about him saving his ass as it is doing what's right. So he tries to start tracking down who stole his gun and can he get his gun back. It's not very long before an armed robbery occurs where um, a woman is shot. She's not murdered. She's just uh, severely injured, and it turns out that the, the weapon used in the crime was his stolen uh, service weapon.
0: They had to do a little bit of his own detective work to figure this out because he misfired in the shooting range, and he happens to find the bullet in still uh, inside of the tree that he shot in, which, like— what did-
1: what are you talking about? He didn't misfire. That was a bullseye straight into that stump.
0: <laughs> I mean, it was, a good, uh, it was a good piece of convenience. That it was. That he misfired and knew exactly where the misfire was. But no, that, that is how they figure out that this is, it's called, they take that bullet, compare it to the bullet from the woman, and say, yes, this is the same, or from the same gun.
1: Yep. And since now not, it has nothing to do with the fact that it was his gun, but there is a an actual crime that has been committed, a, a real investigation must now take place. So Mifune teams up with Takashi Shimura's character to begin investigating the crime and trying to figure out who committed the crime and can they apprehend him. The, the whole while Mifune is uh completely obsessed with the fact that it was his gun uh drawing from that very deep well of the insane japanese mentality of taking responsibility um meanwhile shimura is like dude it's not your fault if it wasn't your gun it would have been another gun this dude was just out to commit a crime mm-hmm. um and that's and that's the breakdown of it because that that all happens in the first 30 minutes so the remainder uh, the last 90 minutes of the film is following these two detectives while Shimura is constantly poking and prodding Mifune. Like it's almost like a buddy cop comedy um, at some points. And they're doing the investigation, following the leads, meeting witnesses and eventually confronting, uh, having a confrontation and some other crimes occur in the interim. It's very, uh, what we would now consider a a, a standard police procedural, uh, but there has been no standard police procedural in existence that start Toshiro Mafune and Takashi mm-hmm. Shimura as the two cops. So we we can ignore what has come after and focus solely on the 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 majesty of Stray Dog.
0: This is called a uh, precursor to the Contemporary Police Procedural.
1: It's so good. (laughs)
0: It is very good. Um, So, interestingly, Kurosawa actually did not like this movie himself that much. Um, He said it was, quote, too technical, and it uh, contains all that technique and not one real thought in it. But he changed that view in 1982 in his autobiography saying that no shooting ever went this smoothly and that the excellent pace of the shooting and good feeling of the crew can be sensed in the finished film.
1: That it can. And I I have to, you know, the artist can say whatever he wants to say. It don't mean shit. It's the death of the author. There is a lot of real thought and heart into this uh, because the, the, the suspect, in the in these crimes that Shimura and Mifune are chasing down, he is also freshly returned from the war. Uh, after they, they they get a good lead on who he might be, when they go and talk to his uh, sister, who he had been living with, they learn more about what had happened to him after he came back from the war, and it mirrors Mifune's experience coming back from the war. Almost exactly. Yep. They, they both, they had their, their backpacks, their sole possessions coming back from military service stolen from them on the train ride home. Um, so that, that's showing that there, there was animosity towards these soldiers coming back home. I don't know if it's because they were on the wrong side of the war or just because they lost. Um, but it, it it's very akin to, how Vietnam vets were treated when they came back to America, because they were out there just killing babies. I mean, um, a combination of those two. yeah. So there's commentary on that. Uh, Mifune, he even says like outright, he's like, I am this person. This person is me, but I chose to, to try and make better of my situation. And he, out does that's, that's what led me to getting this job as a, as a homicide detective. Meanwhile, this dude decided to to get a gun and go rob people to try to get money. Um, you know, some more, you know, like nature versus nurture type stuff. Like you don't have to be from a particular situation for your life to take a path. You have a choice. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's also commentary going on saying, "Yeah, but if these situations didn't exist, if we weren't so shitty to people, we wouldn't have to make these choices between right and wrong. That the problem is endemic, uh, systemic. There's a lot of stuff that is being talked about in this film that that has a lot of power to it. So I have no idea what in the hell Kurosawa is talking about. But to his to his uh, wit it is very technical which means yeah this movie is gorgeous like it's a really it's probably no most definitely up to this point in his filmography it's the most technically competent and uh efficient film of his the, the cinematography the camera compositions the way that the film flows uh with the editing and the pacing this this is this is the peak in my opinion from everything prior up to this point. So,
0: I mean, we saw the growth of what he's done from some heroes who to now and beyond now. So he's learning with every single film about yeah. how to make better movies, how to make them look different or better. Yep.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, you, he can say that it being technical is, is a downside, but there's some really great technical aspects to this film that are really worth admiring. And, there's thought and it's a buddy cop film with Toshiro Mifune and Takashi Shimura. Why would you not like this movie, Akira Kurosawa? He's
0: made a lot of movies with Takashi Shimura and Toshiro Mifune, both. Uh, he's, he, he's, too yeah, he's too
1: involved. He's too involved.
0: Every, every day in his life is a buddy cop movie with Toshiro <laughs> Mifune and
1: Takashi <laughs> Shimura. So jealous of him. <laughs>
0: Yeah, part of the uh part of your synopsis that you skipped over is that Koshiro Mifune winks to uh like this huge thing filing cabinet of photos that they have of criminals and it's like, Alright, show me men in their twenties that no or that are known for pickpocking, so he's looking through dozens and dozens of photos. It's like, well, sometimes they work together with other people, but next the woman is the one that actually stole the cult, but then tra- handed it off to this next guy. Uh, yeah,
1: the lady with the terrible perfume. Yeah.
0: And wearing a dress. And the the detective that he's talking to is like, no, she doesn't wear a dress. She usually wears the traditional photo
1: thing. No, no, this is her. She even had a perm. She even had a perm. Yeah.
0: So that's like a sign of the changing times in, in Japan from Post war, it's in 1949. Uh, so he finally finds that photo of the girl, identifies her in like, just, doesn't stop, he kind of stalks her, but she also thinks right. that it's happening.
1: It's, it, it's not stalking. This is straight up the cop harassing the shit out of her. And it was wonderful. Like this sequence was like five minutes long and I got a good belly laugh at one point where she hops on the train, on the, the bus. And she looks behind and the camera goes to the back of the window and he's just running after the bus. (laughs) I laughed. It was super funny. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) He
0: does this all day. And then finally at the end of the day, she's at a bar, passed out. He's outside. And the bartender is like, he's not coming inside because he's not buying a drink. Like, he's that kind of guy. So she comes out with a beer and some food. And she's like, fine. Fuck it. I give up. What do you want to know? Stop following
1: me. Just give me a hint, he says. Just give me a hint who took my gun. Yeah. And so this was really interesting, cause so the response that she gives is, go check out the pistol dealers. He, and he's so green. Like this is before the crime has happened, so this is all before he teams up with Shimura. Mm-hmm. He this is this is him independently investigating what happened to his his gun. He's so green, he looks at her, he's like, What the hell is a pistol dealer? Like those things exist. She's like, are you shitting me? You're a cop. Yeah, pistol dealers exist. Well, how do I find them? Are you shitting me? Go wander around the, the alleys and look desperate. You know, I'm sure someone will pick you up. So he dresses up in a, what looked like a, a war uniform almost mm-hmm. that was dirty as, as all get out mm-hmm. and he beats the street. Like he, it, it looked like he was out there for like two days yeah. sleep, sleeping in the, in the alleyways and just making himself as dirty and scummy as possible, trying to get anyone's attention uh, to try to, to hook up with the pistol dealers. Mm-hmm. That was also an incredibly great sequence.
0: Yeah. I mean, that show is, uh, he is extremely great because he doesn't know about all these things, but he has the instincts to become a really good cop.
1: And he's got the, the, the grit too. Like yeah. he's will he's willing to, to do what he feels is necessary to, to, to get to the next part in his investigation. Yeah. And
0: Shimura is there throughout the movie to be like, no, stop being, stop being so overzealous. You have to, this isn't about your gun. This is about the crime or this is about the crime of people being hurt. Not the crime of your gun was stolen.
1: Yeah. Well, and Shimura, his character, you know, it's like what you want to do is make sure you don't die or get hurt while you're trying to do the job. Because there are things that are more important, Uh exemplified in this really, really good scene where Shimura brings Mafune to his house and it's like, oh, this old dude's got three kids. Like they're all like 10 years old and everything is so happy and he loves his family, it, which you've seen in like so many cop movies like Lethal Weapon kept coming to mind this whole time like Shimura is basically Danny Glover saying i'm too old for this shit and Tashiro Mifune is the wild you know the loose goose out on the on the on the case it's totally lethal weapon um, <laughs> well,
0: i think this came before lethal weapon uh
1: yeah i'd say i'd say about 39 years yeah <laughs> no no 38 years the first lethal weapon i think was 87 Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little, a little bit before, before that time. But, but so, like, even that, even that familiarity, um, I, I would even be wagering to say that the familiarity with what would happen to the genre after this film helps, you know, helped me really connect with this film in particular. Because when, when Shimura brings Mifune to his house and they're sitting there and they're having drinks, He's not lecturing him. He's not telling him, look, son, family and life and and peace, this is where it's at. He's, he's not doing any of that lecturing. He's just sitting there and he's like he's got his citations that he's collected over the years uh, framed on the wall. He's like, wow, you're really proud of this. He's like, yeah. I do, I do a good thing. Yeah. And then they, they sit there and they drink and he's just like, it's, it's really chill and casual, but because I know how this, what this scene is really doing, because I've seen it in 18 million other cop movies. The fact that those newer cop movies actually do take the time to have, like if this was from the eighties, Shimura 's character would have been giving that lecture. And so, like, tracing it back, you're like, okay, minus the lecture, this is still the same scene. It's still the same thing. Oh, and the fact that there is no lecture here makes it a little bit better because you're not being spoon-fed it. But I I still get the full impact because I understand this scene so well.
0: This is, uh, like, probably textbook show don't tell Um, because Shimura brings in – they haven't known each other for a while, I guess a couple weeks probably – They've just been working together. They've had a long day. Shimura brings Mifune home. And, uh, the first thing that happens is that the kids are playing on the, on the edge of the house where Mifune would sit. So like even the littlest things, cleaning off that place so their guests can sit is a kind of problem that Shimura has to deal with and Mifune hasn't really thought about.
1: Yeah. He's, he's so laser focused, obsessed about like throughout this whole thing, like, you you can imagine that Mifune's character has this same kind of laser point obsession with everything in his life. Cause right now it's all about the, his gun that got stolen and someone stole my gun. My gun is shooting people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, so what other aspects in his life also get that kind of laser focus where he's not seeing the bigger picture, you know, the kindnesses, the, the, the tiny things that he would take for granted, like, cleaning off a spot for him to sit or whatever. Like how much has he crawled inside of himself that, that these things are so oblivious to him that they're like, Oh, like it's, it's almost like a relevatory scene for him. Yeah.
0: And from that moment to the moment when, uh, Shimura says, come, come look at my three beautiful sleeping children.
1: It's a beautiful scene. Yeah. That was a beautiful shot. Just the the, the camera looking at, uh, shimura's wife knelt in the hallway shimura there and mifune in the background just the the, the joy and smile on shimura's face it was it was so good
0: it's always a bigger picture and i'm sure there is also some commentary that we are not picking up on on this scene existing and mifune coming back from losing a war i think there's more in the time of being in post-war japan than we could ever be in a lot of books
1: probably agreed but it's not it's not an empty scene like that's one thing like if you if you don't understand what a scene is trying to say in a particular film because you're not as knowledgeable about the actual events that are feeding it does it still say something does it still work And some movies they don't like if you don't understand a certain time period, like they'll just fly over your head and you're just like, well, this thing happened and okay. Yeah. But, but here it still really works and and it feeds into the viewer with, with other things. There's other ideas and other emotions being fed that it's okay if we don't understand what was originally intended because there's, enough there to still have an intent pre- presented
0: mm-hmm. like we're saying some of the subtext but the main heft of the state is definitely there
1: universally so i do i, I want to talk about the ending of the film because that um so when you're watching the movie there's all these really great things and you're picking up on all these tropes that you've seen in later films and the performances are wonderful the, the storytelling and the pacing, the way that the mystery, um, slowly, um, unravels, it, it's always really interesting and it kept me hooked, but something magical happens at the end. Like you watch a film that is considered to be one of the great masterpieces, like The Godfather or whatever. And, and you watch them and there's the scenes that have not so much the importance, but all the, all the celebrity, like this is the famous scene of the Godfather. And you're like, you can feel like, wow, this is some powerful movie making. And a lot of, a lot of those movies, like it, they feel like you're watching something important the whole time. Stray dog doesn't feel like that until you get to the climax. All of a sudden everything about the film shifts and it feels so masterful. It's not just a cop film. It's like, no, you're watching something really important, something like really, really great. Um, so Shimura and Mifune, they go back to the house of this chill girl who is a childhood friend and acquaintance of the, the suspect. They sit there for a little bit and, you know, there's a really good scene where the mom just starts chewing out the daughter and saying, you will tell them, you disgraceful person. And Shimer just like, let's let's leave. And he, he makes a joke. He's like this. She was born to prosecute her daughter. Let's just let her do the work. Um So I'm going to leave now and go track down the killer because while they were in the the room he found a box of matches that had a hotel name on it they were able to get out of the mom that yeah the the suspect was there in that house he did leave those matches so all right Mafune, you sit here and tough it out see if anything comes of this madness i'm going to start following the clues that we now have because this is the first time they really have clues yeah. And what happens next is so interesting because it's not, it's not like the one clue, oh, and it breaks the case. Like you see in a lot of other cop movies or some kind of quick montage. You actually watch Shimura go from place to place getting new p- bits of information and just slowly make his way across the entire city back and forth following the clues
0: talking to each of these places or talking to someone at each of these places for at least a couple minutes and then actually yeah. in the pouring rain.
1: And then, the, then that's, that's where all of a sudden it shifts. So he gets to the last hotel and he finds out that the suspect is not only actively staying there. He's actually in the building. He has the uh, individual who the, the, the proprietor go lock the back door and he makes a phone call. He's trying to get a hold of uh, Mifune, and that's when the pouring rain starts. At the same time, Mifune I'm is in a little, a little bit. But at the same time, Mifune is in the the room, and he starts berating uh the, the girl, the 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 witness, telling her, you know, I'm the exact same as this dude. My shit was stolen too, you know. Why, why did he decide to, to do this? Why is, why did he choose the path of criminality? She says, look, here, you can even have this back. I'm never going to tell you where he is. And she throws this really like amazing dress on the floor. And it's revealed that with the, the money from the first crime, he bought this dress for her because this guy is just like, he's like a creepy stalker type. Like, I love you here, let me buy you things. But she never actually talked to him. He just watched her and Mufune starts yelling at this girl. You know, if, if there's nothing wrong going on here and you, and you feel that you're so justified by not telling us who he is, why didn't you wear that dress? Why aren't you wearing that dress now? Just fucking wear it. Like it escalates. And then that's when the thunder starts, the rain starts and it's moving between these two scenes. And all of a sudden, it cuts to the, uh, the room and the girl is spinning in circles, screaming about how freeing and wonderful it is wearing the dress. It was bought with blood money and- The mother and, freaks the fuck out. Yeah, like, it's an intense scene. Like, it's almost like a horror film. Like, it's, it's that type of scene. It's, it's so intense and terrifying and the sound design the camera work, all of a sudden you're not just watching the same movie you'd been watching the last hour and 35 minutes. It transforms. And then it cuts back to the hotel. And one of the girls who works there turns on the radio. I'm watching the movie. And I'm just like, Oh, sweet baby Jesus. Don't you kill. Shimura. Don't you fucking do it. And it, it just, it, it, the suspense and everything built to such, a, it, it was an un, almost an unbearable crescendo. Um, and I didn't care that, you know, newer movies like, oh, there's the song playing in the background while the the final showdown happens. It didn't matter because the way Kurosawa built up to it and all of a sudden it exploded on the screen, that it, it turned into a different movie. Everything about the film changed on a dime. It made it so incredibly worth it. And it carried through all the way to the end of the picture. The last 20 minutes are all this incredibly intense f- film. Um, I'm not going to say whether Shimura dies or not, but later in the film, Mifune is trying to find the guy. And he's sitting in a train station depot, and he's doing this voiceover where he's looking at all the different people that are dressed in white linen suits.
0: Which is the first is one of the first clues that they got, he's like, he's
1: wearing a yeah you know which one is the guy and he's going through all the different clues that they've picked up throughout the the course of the film to try to decipher what it is and it's just monumental everything about the the last 20 minutes of the film was just momentous mm-hmm. um i was completely just blown away like why is this film not spoken about like like films like the godfather like holy shit like this scene or that scene apocalypse now the whole brando speech where he's half in darkness or whatever this is on that level um i felt because the skill in the filmmaking the power in the performances the use of the camera the editing everything just it went from this is a good movie to wow, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. And if anything, like I want I, I, I want people to watch this one because when you get to those final scenes, it was magic. It was magic. When when Mifune makes eye contact with the killer, um and, and the killer looks right back at him and realizes, oh shit, it's the cop, he does this bug eye expression and the camera zooms in on him. I was just like, oh, this is incredible and uh, so exciting. I am like, I'm like fangirling over here. <laughs> the ending of this film was another level. This was absolutely stupendous.
0: Yeah. And there is, uh, the, those instincts again, that where Mifune is going through all those things, like White suit. well, one he's changed, just a man in his late twenties, around 28. And then he looks at even more people, and he says, wait, he was running through the rain after this scene with Shimura, so he's probably going to have mud on his suit, or his shoes. So he finally finds muggy shoes, and the guy...
1: He's got mud all yeah, up his entire back. He's probably been running through the mud. He so, turns around, goes to light a cigarette, lights the match with his left hand.
0: Because you know, he's left-handed, and that was one of the other early clues.
1: It just all came together, like, in Mafune's mind, and you watch it all in, like, real time.
0: Mm-hmm. And he knows, Mafune knows, that this is probably going to be his last chance. Like, if this dude is able to get on that train, then they're never finding him.
1: And he's got three bullets left in that stolen gun. Ah, mm-hmm. shit. great <laughs> <laughs> sequence. It's all just so good. Because I see, like, when you watch movies like Brian De Palma's The Untouchables you know oh i pulled this scene from battleship potemkin or whatever so many movies have pulled from this film but i've never heard it used in the same breath as as an influence or an inspiration like ever
0: you know is this I've, like so uh inspirational or uh foundational that they're not pulling from this film they're pulling from a film that has pulled from this film
1: Maybe it could be like the whole, you know, drunken angel is anime as fuck, you know, discussion that we had um, last time. It could be that exact same thing. I I don't know. But it was just like, no, these these are like this is foundational. Like maybe maybe another movie occurred at the same time that was an American film um, for being filmed in 1949. It surprisingly is not noirish at all, which was what a lot of American films, uh, cop and crime films, were doing at the time. It was all the, the start of the film noir movement. Uh, this absolutely doesn't fall into those categories, but the the sequences and the style and the techniques. Like, were they also being explored in those film noir at the same time? Was somebody in 1950 ripping off Kurosawa, but nobody ever saw it because Japanese films weren't being imported that frequently at the time. And so when everyone says, oh, you know, out of the past, that film noir, that's the one who started it all. But no, it was Stray Dog. Like, what the hell happened here? I want to know because there's no way. I just can't believe that nobody, I don't hear anybody talking about this as being an inspiration for X or Y sequence. That's just insane. Yeah. And uh,
0: the, the Wikipedia article for Buddy Cop film lists Stray Dog as the precursor to all Buddy Cop films. And then other early pioneers are the 1967 film In the Heart of the Night and 1974 Freebie and the Bean. Like, you're looking at
1: a gap
0: of 18
1: 20-some-odd years, yeah. yeah. ...between the
0: foundational American film and the foundational Japanese film.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Crazy. Yep. Just absolutely crazy. Well, any closing thoughts on Stray Gog? I have one. This movie is extremely my shit. (laughs) I I, I can't even remember how long ago... I think this was the last kurosawa dvd that i purchased before they started getting uh blu-ray upgrades and re-releases so like i stopped buying kurosawa films waiting for everything to come out on blu-ray this i'm pretty sure this was the last one of those so this was god knows how many years ago i'm upset (laughs) this is extremely my shit um i hope I, i hope more people check it out um just like drunken angel this is one of the few films that has not gotten a – uh that, that got an individual Criterion DVD release but has not yet been upgraded to Blu-ray. It has a lot of the same film issues as Drunken Angel. So I I wonder if this may not ever get a Blu-ray release just like I was theorizing about Drunken Angel. There's a lot of the same uh film damage uh going on here so the dvd might be your best best go or streaming on filmstruck
0: mm-hmm. mifune and that girl in one scene were sitting next to like a pond or something and someone threw a rock into it into the water and i'm like is that water did they throw in something and then they got <laughs> closer and then i saw the reflection of the water on them yeah. like yeah it's water <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah <laughs> and and the dvd this actually has a uh because I, I i didn't watch the movies early enough like i never do um i just finished this right before we were getting together to record uh the dvd has a a short documentary on it as well um it's it's uh i i put the disc on the shelf i can't reach it uh but there is a short documentary about akira kurosawa Talking specifically about this film and some of the behind the scenes uh interviews with actors and stuff like that, it was part of a a, a series um It creates the art or something like that uh so I definitely want to check that out and the booklet in the d v d has an excerpt from Akira Kurosawa's uh autobiography mm-hmm. where he's talking about this film uh so I haven't read or watched them yet. But if you watch this film on, like, Filmstruck or something and you, you really like it, it may be worth going out of the way to pick up that DVD because who knows if this one gets Blu-ray upgraded or not because the films are a bit sketchy. Yeah.
0: Have you ever seen Naked City?
1: I think I have it, but I haven't watched it.
0: Well, uh, Kurosawa lists <laughs> the Naked City as a huge influence on uh, Street Dog.
1: Let me look it up. Let me let me look this up, make sure I'm thinking of the same movie, or if not, I know what movie it is. Oh, hey, that's that's also released by Criterion. Maybe <laughs>
0: Jules, <laughs> I don't know, uh, starring Barry Fitzgerald, Howard Duff, Dorothy Hart, Don Taylor. Let's see. Oh, wait,
1: 1948? Yes. Yeah, has to be, not the
0: 1958 one. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's that one influenced by that one for a audience.
1: Oh, he did Rafifi, which I know I definitely have Rafifi, but haven't watched yet. Uh, I'm really bad at this. This is the best project idea you ever came up with, Corey. (laughs) Let's get through Chris's backlog. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, I will have to check that out. New York City Film Noir about two detectives investigating the death of an attractive young woman. The apparent suicide turns out to be murder. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Okay. And since it was released by Criterion, I wonder if it's on the, the film Strux as well. Ooh, Let's see. Scroll up. I still have the tab open. <laughs> Naked <laughs> City. It is on the film Strux. Cool. Swedish.
0: Maybe we'll have to watch that. I will. All right. Well, uh, that's enough for Stereog. Let's take a break. You
1: don't have any final thoughts? Oh,
0: uh, I liked it. Uh,
1: oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I did really
0: but, like this movie. Um, I would say that it feels kind of formulaic, but this is before the formula existed, so I don't think that counts against it. Uh, <laughs> and there is a really good interplay between the and Shimura in this movie. Does um, a lot of interesting things that I don't think like the typical buggy cop film does. I haven't watched a lot of them, but like that sequence with Shimura where he's going from place to place, going, tracing back the steps, that's very methodical and really cool. Um, Mifune going undercover as the, uh, the Duke, who looks like he needs a gun, I guess. There's really <laughs> um, just a lot of good sequences and a, overall a really good
1: movie. Yeah. I, I know I said this during the Drunken Angel podcast, but um, because this one is after Drunken Angel, this is now my absolute favorite Kurosawa film that we have watched in the in this sequence. It's it doesn't beat my actual favorite because I I'd seen that movie before, um, but of the films that we've discussed on the podcast going through his filmography, this is this is the best so far in my opinion. Yeah. Absolutely no question. See, I like
0: anything more than this. I might have liked One Wonderful Sunday more
1: than this. That was a really good. One. Yeah.
0: But yeah, this is also in the comics with with uh, Drunken Angel. Uh, all right, well, yeah. let's take that break. I don't know what's gonna be on the other side of this. It'll be a surprise for all of us.
1: Oh boy, we don't even know what year this one will come out. <laughs>
0: well, it's <he's> already December.
1: <laughs>
0: all right. are back uh the whole crew is here chris is still here hi uh camilla right
1: Cam- this is awkward
0: it's okay i can just call Cam-
1: <laughs> don't do that camellia I'm,
2: I'm sorry
1: this is weird
2: it doesn't have to be weird
3: <sighs>
2: what's well, weird man just talk
3: it's all, it's everything's weird
4: getting together with a bunch of people on the internet to talk about anime is always weird
3: Wow, well, I mean,
2: uh,
3: <laughs> using a different name <laughs> makes it weirder. If you're talking to a dude who names himself Ink. <laughs> I
2: don't <laughs> guess. At least Camelia is a, a, like a real name.
3: I'm gonna open this sapporo and I'm gonna
0: drink it. All right, the uh, whole crew is here. Uh, as you've heard, uh, Helen and Ink are also with me. Woo-hoo! Hello. Hello. Uh, Ink, remember that time that like we sent beer back and forth? Yes. Yeah, I I just walked up to the counter, and I'm like, can you just send it back to this person? And the lady behind the counter was like, so you want to send it to Inc. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yes, please. But anyway, we're here to talk about uh, Recovery of an MMO Junkie, which is the translated title, which is not at all what the translation of the title is.
3: It's Uh, weird. I don't,
0: yeah, I don't know. It, does anyone remember what the, what the actual title was? <coughs> Recommendation,
3: Recommendation of the
0: wonderful virtual life. Okay. The wonderful. Nesto ju no susume. It's not it all the same. If no.
1: Who came uh, up with it, that it, English? Um, it's like they don't understand what the word rec- the definition of the word recovery is because it's absolutely not related to the show at all. No, exactly.
3: it wasn't Crunchyroll on the production committee.
1: Yes,
0: that's why they got the OAV so
3: fast. i wonder. I wonder if they chose it or something, or they oh, recommended yes. it or something.
4: I, I you have to admit, MMO they... Junkie is a pretty catchy nickname for the show. It is. Literally. It is.
2: I think they. I think they confused redemption and recovery.
4: <laughs> redemption, Eminem, no, Junkie. That just sounds too
1: hardcore. <laughs> But, I mean, like, the, 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 the official English title that's in the damn show, you know, it's more literal translation, and it's it's right there in English for you, You're represents amazing. what the show is about. It, it, it represents what the show is about so much better than Recovery. Like, that just – it was bothering me the whole time.
3: Recovery of an MMO, uh, MMO junkie is also in the opening, though. It's, like, in the background when they're making the characters.
0: Oh, maybe that's why – there, there, there uh, was
3: like it's the in part. there I don't know if I don't know <clears throat> the way I see it is it's like the official English title even though there's an official English translation mm. I don't know that's kind of how I think they're differentiating it
1: well that's just weird
3: it is weird it's not usual <laughs> it's not that often that something has more than one title Yeah,
1: but like um, Helen is right MMO junkie like you just say that it sticks you got it you're good Drop all the other words.
0: And regardless of what title you're translating, guys, MMO Junkie describes it pretty well.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Inc. Uh, you did not immediately grasp onto the show from your tweets. It seems that you did not grasp onto the show the same way that at least me and Dana have. Perhaps Ellen, I don't know. But uh, what what didn't you like about it?
2: I, I think uh, it was a it was more of a like I was a victim of the hype machine because uh-huh. I I didn't want I from from the time this was announced, like, I thought, ooh, cool, like, 30-year-old female character, let's let's hear it for some Jose. And, uh, like, when everybody started going apeshit over her reaction shots to the gaming life, I was just like, oh, it's Seth MacFarlane meets uh, Welcome to the NHK or something, that, that one episode. And I was just instantly pissed off. And then everyone kept going, you know, getting so uber happy over all her faces and stuff, and I was just like, you know what? I don't like the online gaming genre anyway, so I'm going to push this off and not watch it. And then enough people I, I love and trust on Anna Twitter um, kept raving about it, and I was just like, you know what? It's only three episodes in. I'll catch those three episodes and then, you know, maybe it'll kick ca- maybe something's going to click. And it just, the first three episodes at least didn't click. It just interesting just was just there seemed... Ever-
0: was there ever a clicky moment for you?
2: I, I really around the latter half of the series, I just liked it when it settled into more of the lives of the real people instead of the online gaming. When you know it settled into focus on the actual mm-hmm. characters as opposed to their online personas. Uh, so when the, mm-hmm. when the when the when the focus shifts to real life as opposed to the gaming life. Huh.
1: Well, guys, I'm just going to drop off because Ink literally said everything I was going to say, but I ended up liking it more than him. But- <laughs> I feel like...
3: This going to be a very short podcast. Sorry. <laughs> like- <laughs> like,
1: no, those, those are literally all of my talking points, except I really, really liked it when it was all over- said and done.
3: <laughs> well,
1: so- I feel like I had
3: the opposite experience. Hmm. Well, like what you mean by- it, Like, it got worse when they started interacting in real life. Fight, fight, fight. <laughs> I, I got some thought. Rolling Please. up the sleeves now. See, so yeah, so you didn't like the, at the beginning, whereas, like, okay. So, like, going into this, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can feel anymore. Um, that's another, that's a different problem. But, um, uh, like, the first few episodes uh, I thought were amazing. Like, I really got into... Uh, Moriko's like frame of mind and like uh like the gender swapping and the like just playing up as a different character um and just like the the awkward interactions between everyone um and sort of like Moriko's um just her like how she would like uh, what's the right word for that um like her exasperation over everything uh was really funny but as soon as they started, like, so, so what I didn't like was, so I like Koyuai, I like him, but he's an asshole. Um, <laughs> You're not wrong. Blasphemy. Yeah. So, so like when he first goes to meet up with her, like the first, like he walks out of the the fake Lawson, and like she's uh, Motiko is walking in, and the first thing he noticed, like, oh, she has big boobs and then he was like oh wait and then he goes back in after he was already done shopping and then he like basically forces her into accepting to go on a date which was like really creepy and uh like not cool um oh and i guess before that when um uh Sakurai and Moriko like bump into each other uh like like it the the show romanticizes a lot of this stuff but like, some of this stuff isn't, like, romantic. It's just, like, gross. So, like, even if Moriko, like, maybe she really wanted to meet Sakurai, but she sent that email and she's like, nah, I don't want to, like, meet up with you. But then, like, Sakurai, like, starts stalking her, basically. And that was, like, real not cool. Um, I don't know, like, that dynamic. And then Wai like, after, when they were at their date and eating... And like she falls asleep and then he takes a picture and he's like, Oh look, Sakurai, she's asleep. I wonder what I could do to her while she's asleep And I'm just like, Oh god. Uh.
2: Yeah, the undertones there are definitely not like welcome <laughs> and like <laughs> our, our our societal views and the uh, the the thing is though, like he's not actually serious about it. He's goading his friend to try to take some action because he's expressed interest in this girl. And he but realizes that
1: OY is not a creep. He but. is the asshole that you want as your friend. He is the exactly. wingman of dreams.
2: Exactly. Like, I, I
1: feel he's like he's never going to do anything
2: with more Ma- with or to Morison because she, he wants her for his best friend. Like, cause he, he, he realizes there's a connection or at least you know, he realizes his friend has a connection with her, but you know, and he also realizes his friend can't take steps on his own or won't, so he's, he's pushing him over the cliff by being with Morrison. And uh, yeah, I, I I dug this character. He was he was antagonistic, but he was playfully so.
4: Is that reverse cucking?
2: It might be. Yes.
4: Yes. Words. I never thought I'd let her on the show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it-
0: Recorded for all time now.
3: <laughs> it's just like. He plays it off like, oh, I would never do that. But it's that normalization of, like, that kind of behavior. Like, ha-ha. Like, like, even if it's a joke, like, it's not funny. Like, I didn't... It's just... I don't know. Just all all that stuff just came across, like, just real gross. And, like, yep, this is how all this stuff is normalized in society. Great. You know, this is all normalized to be, like, romantic and, like, ha-ha, funny. And it's just like, nah, this is just bad um ah, so that see, we- so that's why i liked like before they started interacting in real life better because like once that gross stuff got introduced it like kind of took away from their interactions by the end i felt like they started like <laughs> regaining my trust a little bit but still it just yeah i was kind of like blindsided a bit by that stuff but uh, you know not entirely surprised
4: yeah, I can see that. Although I also thought it was pretty funny by the end, in like the OVA, just how horny Moriko is in real life. Like,
3: I do appreciate that. The I did think OVA that was way. great. Like that was that was a good bookend because like like the, the very beginning was amazing, and then like through the middle, I'm like, oh no, and then at the, the the dream sequence was just fantastic.
1: At least we can all agree the OVA was a plus 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 it was incredible
2: <laughs> it was charming it was like my my i honestly think the the reason i didn't like this is because it didn't go dark or at least didn't treat the subject matter with as much weight as it should have because there's no consequence to this 30 year old just dropping her job and you know Purchasing this computer and all the game time and money that she wants. Yeah. Uh, in I fact, I mean, she's maybe actually,
4: she had a lot of savings, and we don't really know for she does sure how long story is her... set over. It's like could be as small as like four months or something. But she's like thirty years old.
3: <laughs> she does mention her savings at one point, like, "Ooh, I could dip in and get something new." Uh, but yeah, I, I was wondering, like, how much money does she have?
1: Well, that's what? a trope that, that that you see a lot in anime, like. Every time there's a Hikikomori or a neat character, it's like, how are you fucking affording to just survive? Why are the lights turned on?
2: I think there <laughs> might be
1: like a whole some. There, there might be a whole thing in that culture that we just don't understand. Maybe there is like a government allowance or something. Social
2: security nuts. Yeah, Dude, let me go there.
1: <laughs> she,
0: had a, she had a job, too, so it's not like she's earning, or she, it's not like she's getting money from her parents, or at least that's not the assumption that the show makes.
2: Right, right, but at the same time, like, even if you just want to take it at a character level, you know, she she's being rewarded for just abandoning society by finding the love of her life. Yes. And it, that, I that's- nothing wrong
1: here, <laughs> Yeah, <I should> have- <laughs>
2: It's completely wrong to me. Uh, it, was, it was one but of my... That's one, thing,
1: so that, that's one thing that I actually really like about the show is because it didn't want to dive into the real-life consequences or aspects of it. There are five people on a podcast talking about it that we all met through the damn internet, one of which is dating someone he met through the internet. <laughs> um, like, this show... Because like, people are always trying to push that on you. It's like, oh... You need to have your real life. The internet life is terrible and blah, 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 blah. But the show is like, no way. The internet life can also be good. You can meet people that you have strong relationships with. You could meet the love of your life. And I find that so much more interesting and refreshing than the 18 millionth realistic take on the story because we've had that so much before. The fact that this avoided that, is one of its really uh, really strong points, in my opinion.
4: I would, I'd like to I put it agree. on the record that I have a pretty good in-real-life life FYI. <laughs> but yeah, I have some friends who I've known for like 10 years now over the Internet, and like we still get together on Skype and do stuff like watch Neo-Yokio. I mean, that's yeah. what friends do. They make questionable anime-watching decisions together.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's more or less my point, because like, it's not one or the other, it's the balance of the two, and that's what the show lacks. Like there's no or, or, you know, until the later episodes, there's no like really getting into how these characters live their day to day. And even with their interactions, there's really not a lot to it because you know, okay, one goes to a job, one doesn't. Um, There's not a whole lot of detail into that. Um, And, yeah, I mean, you can meet fantastic people online. You can develop relationships that carry over to real life. But you still have to have a real life first. <laughs> and you, and like, she
1: did. She had thirty years of that bullshit. Look, I am <laughs> Mori-chan is my fucking like soulmate. All right, like I am in love with Mori Mori-chan because she is me and I am her. She <laughs> was able to do the thing that I am trying to do and just say fuck you and live peacefully. I am okay with this. I am
0: okay with this. <laughs> is this also like, uh, uh this might be a stretch for Is this also like a little commentary on the soul crushing nature of Japanese salaryman work? Like, uh, I can't see
4: how it's not. Yeah, yeah
3: she, seriously.
0: She worked for it's, so long yeah. at this place that I she don't was know. like working till 11 p.m. or whatever, and then she finally she's only finally, 30. She finally feels yeah, like
3: but, much. yeah, but Sakurai and Koiwai are like, oh, but if you were working with us, it'd all be good. Well, that's always.
1: And that—that's
3: true. I mean, that's it's true, but I mean, it, it. I don't think it like comes out and says like, "Oh, corporate life is terrible."
1: No. I mean, more
4: and more, and he has that dream at one point where she's just watching all these faceless office drones throw themselves off a cliff.
3: I mean, I oh, think yeah, she makes pretty I clear it's not yeah. salary in oh, life. Right. There was that.
1: It's a very soul-crushing existence. Please continue living happily with menial jobs. It's so much better than trying to, to make something of a career. I swear to you.
0: There's also the opening where she's actually working with them, and she seems happy enough. Maybe it's the ending.
4: Yeah, I was always trying to figure out if that was supposed to be her walking behind Sakurai at the computer or what there. Yeah. Because it just never happens in the show at
0: all. Maybe next season, too. <laughs> I don't know.
4: It would be really unrealistic if they had an actual workplace romance that didn't end in, like, flames.
2: <laughs> that's season two just well, pin that I on I Koi Wai. I would watch that so hard
1: <laughs> look I think season two is going to be more about Koi Wai um, realizing his true love and the, the love triangle will shift slightly because obviously Sakura-chan is the only one for Koi Wai no uh-huh. I think the only one for Koi Wai is himself yeah <laughs> so. Like one of my favorite things. It was in like the last couple episodes, maybe episode nine, when they're talking about him uh, while they're together. I can't remember which scene, and he's sitting there hugging his giant hamburger pillow, and he sees yes. it, and he just looks off in the distance wistfully with stars in his eyes, <laughs> wonder if Sakura-chan is thinking about me again. <laughs>
2: I got to say, one of the most charming things of this, just just because of the pillows bit, uh, one of the most charming things about this uh, series was in the uh, ending, where uh, Moi Moi chan is just twirling her uh, uh, Meowth pillow, Meowth body pillow, like around as a dance partner around her small apartment. (laughs) I was just like, I've been that. I've been that.
0: You have a Meowth body pillow?
1: Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Silence is also confirmation, but it's always better to hear it. It, it, it has the sexy side, and then the more conservative
2: side.
4: Do <laughs> <laughs> you even have a body pillow of oh, beer or... These are Oh feet.
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But she's she's too good for a body pillow. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she? Yes, she is. You
2: shut your whore mouth. <laughs>
3: Oh no! I
4: just had a terrible but awesome merch idea: Sakurai on one side of the body pillow, and Lily on the other
1: side. Oh, that's fantastic! Which one gets to be the lewd one, though? I'm hoping for Sakurai.
0: Yes, yeah, it to- has to be him in like that art armor. From the- yes,
1: Jesus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I should have stated that only the hero can wear it. Oh God! Oh God!
0: But look, animated. yeah.
4: Sorry, a friend and I have this theory that Moriko is very bi, and so we were very invested in seeing like every single time she gets super excited over Lily. <laughs> the two of us are just like, there's no other way to read this. Are the Moriko being super horny bi?
2: Well, that, that's kind of the nice thing about the series too, is it's very open about like um, how it perceives, you know, like I'm sorry, I forgot the name again, but uh, someone else brought it up earlier, um, you know, gender perceptions and uh, adoptions, you know, like. Who you are, who you want to be, and how you portray yourself in the game is really open and really free. So, you know, that just leads to essences falling in love with essences. So, it's really progressive in that manner. I really like that because there was a there was an anime called. Uh, Did you think there was no girls online or something like that? And oh, sweet baby I- Jesus! Did you <laughs> yeah, I'd never we'll be tweeting
4: about that. It does not sound good at all. No.
2: It's horrible, but there is a point where the male protagonist comes to a, a decision because every girl he met online turned out to be a guy. And, you know, he got dumped my, myriad of times, you know, going up to ask them out in real life. Um, so it eventually he just went, you know what? If you're a guy, so what? And I, <laughs> and, you know, that was blatant and it was kind of the butt of a joke in that series. But here it, you get a, a more, um, mature, adopted sense of, you know, you know what? I love you for you.
4: I was speaking of a little bit of gender switch, and I did laugh that Pokero and um, Amaralda will sometimes just accidentally play each other's characters, since they are a married couple, and they get the impression they're just too lazy to walk out of each other's accounts on the computer. So I just yes. thought that was funny. There's like a couple of times, like, they mentioned it directly once in the show, but if you watch, there's a couple other times where you can tell from the character's sudden, like, change in
1: voice and mannerisms that, oh, they did it again. <laughs> I will have to pay attention to that. I only caught it the one time that Convey called it out. Yeah. It's like, look, you can't keep fucking doing that.
0: The one, When is the uh, all-IRL guild-making... Because they kept showing the the little dots on the map moving around and moving closer to each other, but we never got that.
1: I was super upset about that. Like it only showed the character, um, Lilac, her in real life character. Oh, I wanted like more two lilac. Two seconds, didn't show anybody else.
3: So disappointing. It's
1: more of the in real life mm. characters. That's the good stuff. I think Sakura and Kande would die if they realized they actually
2: already knew each other in real life from that though <laughs> <laughs>
4: which would be amazing to watch but you have to think of the characters how would they be able to handle this
2: or not handle it watching them not being able to handle it was so much more fun
4: I did like how in the OVA the, um, those two are also like a separate character and player and then he's like why am I the, ma- the employee while well, Kande gets to be the manager <laughs> oh my god I a gotcha joke The OVA was just great. (laughs) And I saw it just the other day, so I'm still thinking about it a lot.
1: So, since there are four other people here, maybe someone can help my brain, because my brain has been really bad all day. In the podcast we recorded earlier, I kept forgetting the most basic words. (laughs) 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 In the OVA, when they have the big giant gotcha, there is another anime series that has that same joke, except it's like a big giant stone gotcha. That they have to turn, and I could not remember for the life of me what this other series was. I mean, this it's anime, relatively.
0: The, the anime, or this one had an earlier episode where it was also a gotcha in a tree.
1: No, I have no idea. That's not ringing any bells for me. Hozuki popped in my brain for a sp- second, and I was like, no, I don't think it was Hozuki. It was one of those silly comedy shows, and I know I'm not the only one who watches those, yeah, or am I? I, don't know. I? Jesus! Wait, what? No, you don't think about that show anymore. Maybe that's not that a, a comedy. Yes, Helen is correct. You stop that. Two car. We're
4: not thinking about that show either.
1: Thanks for the. I'm this
2: always thinking, thinking about the. am ah,
1: Just gonna have to rewatch everything now. No more <laughs> shows for the next year.
2: Chris, it's been nice to know you
1: recommendation
4: gonna, of the wonderful anime life.
0: Chris can help with his job just to rewatch watch everything. Yeah, you're going to come back after this, like, I'll beg after you watched all the Nicolas Cage movies. And, you know, I found it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope if anyone listening to this has an idea what it is, that they please tweet at us or leave a comment so we can figure out if Chris is actually remembering something or if he's onto the next Brilliant idea in gotcha.
1: Because it was, like, super elaborate, if I remember right. Like, it was just this giant stone gotcha, and there was, like, they had to say some silly spell or something. It was very elaborate and dumb, and I laughed for, like, 20 minutes afterwards. I don't know why. Log
4: Horizon? No. That'd be too silly for Log
1: Horizon. I don't watch video game shows. That's why this was very outside of my box. Dog
4: hack? Which one? (laughs) Were gachas even around when Hack was
1: first created? Because I thought those were a Mobage invention.
0: I mean, they probably existed, maybe.
1: Was it you, Helen, that tweeted the American gacha picture? Yes. <laughs> like, those have been around since I was a child, so they had to have had something similar in Japan at least that long ago.
4: I've been planning to make that tweet for weeks, and I just kept forgetting to take the picture at my supermarket <laughs> until
1: Friday. <laughs> Anywho, gotcha. so... Helen, what did you think about the show? I don't think we've really heard you talk on it yet. Uh, I obviously adored it quite a bit, um, just
4: because Morico has the, people. Hmm?
1: Just because you changed your Twitter handle doesn't mean that you loved it. We don't know that.
4: Well, I changed my Twitter handle and my Twitter avatar since I only changed my avatar like once a year or so. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, but um, I just loved Morico's reactions to just life in general like anxiously cleaning around when she gets too flustered with talking with somebody online, uh, going, I don't need to clean the bathroom. They won't see it. Well, what do they do
0: crap? I better clean this <laughs> just in case. When we were watching or, that, Dana or, said that she felt insulted. <laughs> <laughs> I have to
4: do it. Cause in my apartment, mine's the bathroom that serves as the guest bathroom, so I have to make sure it's clean. <laughs> or like just looking at all these clothes and being like, this is also expensive. Oh, why do I fine? <laughs> she was just very relatable. On number of levels, and I don't even play that many video games. Like, I've never had the money for MMOs. I'm just playing, like, an emulator version of Path of Radiance on my computer right now. That's it. But I still found her, like, a really fun protagonist to follow around.
2: Which is fun, because you don't have to follow her around anywhere. She just sits and goes to the convenience store.
4: Goddamn it, Inc, you know what I mean.
2: <laughs>
0: Get some fried chicken.
4: I really hope Sakurai surprises her on their one-year anniversary with fried chicken, or just does something like that, because
2: it'd be funny. It'd <laughs> also be cute and perfect. And it's it's a very good, light, romantic comedy.
4: Ink, are you admitting
2: you actually enjoyed the show? Oh, I never said I like hated the show totally. Yes, you did on Twitter. That was,
1: that was totally what your tweet, like, <laughs> That's the impression that <laughs> was given.
2: Now, I, I, I think certain elements of this derail it from becoming something better than it is. But if you want a light, sweet show, like, sure, you, you can lose yourself in this. But uh, it's nothing i buy, it's nothing I'd say is, like, really great or you have to watch. But, you know, if you want something like, you know, good, light fluff, you know, go ahead. You'll laugh, you'll you'll, you'll shed a tear, maybe.
1: Sorry, go ahead, Corey.
0: Well, I earlier told Chris that this is uh, perhaps in my top 25 shows, anime. A long time, which may be... I believe, really? It may be, like, uh, recency bias. But I dig a really, like, the show. And this will uh, almost definitely be, like, on on the top anime lists at the end of the year. We're already near the end of the year. Actually, that podcast might come out before this one, so who knows. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's weird.
4: But we're not even recording that one for a while. <laughs>
2: that my schedule the, o- the OP will definitely be on my uh, best of the year. Oh, I, yeah. I remember List. zero openings and endings like ever. Oh, this, this was, was a so super catchy
4: fun be, um, opening. I really enjoyed I started dancing around to it every time it came on.
5: Mm.
1: It's a tough call. Best opening and ending? This or Love Live Sunshine? I can't choose. There's, it's it's that good.
0: Well, anytime that I have an opportunity to use Love Live music, I have to, so there will be Love Live music in the Top Anime Podcast. <laughs> I really I really like the show. I agree with Inc. that there is uh, some imbalance, but I don't think uh, it was as big a detriment for me as it was to Ink. Um, I also agree that when they got to the real-life stuff is when it got a lot more interesting, and I think the balance needs to be struck between time playing in the game and time spent in real life, which it really wasn't, because episodes in the early part were like 90%. The uh, game and 10% real life, and episodes in the later part were like 90% real life and 10% in the game, and that just wasn't acceptable. and needs to be <laughs> a little closer to 50 uh, throughout every episode.
3: No, I just want to live in the game. <laughs> Watch Sword Art Online. Sure. I that's I like Sword Art
1: Online. <laughs> no. No.
4: Oh, and if you're watching the show week to week, it has. Really annoying cliffhangers every week because, like, every week my friend and I would be like, I need more of this right now. What do you mean I've got to wait a week? <laughs> yep,
2: <laughs> I forgot which one it was, but there was one episode that I was like, because I, I really didn't have any compulsion to, you know, marathon this on its own other than the fact that I had to do the podcast. But there was one episode that had one cliffhanger that I was like, oh, fuck you, I need to watch the next episode. <laughs>
1: What was was it when Sakurai says that he, he is Lily?
2: I don't think... I, it was like one of the last two episodes, not including the OVA. It was like eight or nine. I can't remember, but it was one of those. And I was just like... It was something so good that I was just like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta see what happened next. And then you did. Get... And
1: then
2: I did. Because <laughs> it was there. <laughs> Chris,
0: what
1: were you going to say? So, so when Ink was talking about it, it's a light romantic comedy i think i think like this might just be my personal exposure but if we ignore movies and i guess tv shows but tv shows that try to be romantic comedy are like the worst fucking thing of all time um so if we like ignore movies and just focus on anime like everything about this romantic comedy is so different than what is usually shown usually you got like weird harem mixes you know I'm not, you know, I'll never shy behind my love of nisekoi, but it is a harem and it has its own tropes. Uh, you get other kinds of romantic comedies where things do get gross, like uh, Suzuka and stuff, um, where they so really weird and bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like 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 it always does go into these very extreme areas. And anime romantic comedy has built its its base of tropes everything in mmo junkie felt like a rejection of traditional anime romantic comedy tropes and it did become more like you know live action film um or western romantic comedy film and in the context of anime i loved that immensely because i do like romantic comedy anime and not romantic comedy western uh, film i I don't like those (laughs) So this was like like the perfect marriage of what is good from, from both mediums into something new. So I wouldn't call it exactly, you know, light fluff romantic comedy because it's something different than what people usually get when they watch these types of anime.
4: Yeah, because it's not a harem. It doesn't have pervy jokes. And for once, the characters are actually legal. So if they do decide to,
1: you know, <laughs> have some fun time on Moriko's bed, they could actually do it without getting arrested or anything yeah and the, the 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 weird like getting all embarrassed about it that's built into the character it doesn't seem like oh dude's just not ever gonna get with her because he's a stupid toast male protagonist like it didn't feel like that it was like you really got a sense of who sakurai was and i'm like yep nope that dude is legit and when him and Mori chan get all like weird it's like nope it's built into their characters and it's progressing in this weird kind of you know give and take where they are falling in love in the end and becoming more comfortable with each other but it takes a lot of effort and time as opposed to oh no they just have to be ridiculous and oh he fell on her oh no like Hmm. you normally get with anime like yeah this was good stuff I i think it's a bit better than just light fluff to to watch on the side and point, wow. it also, it really the story does... even
4: addresses that Sakurai has natural light hair. Like, it's not just, oh, he's the main character in anime; he's gonna have an unusual hairstyle. He's like, no, I've always had light hair. It's like, oh my god.
1: <laughs> I used to be shocked. I- totally
2: uh, it, f- it feels natural the, the the awkwardness between these two people, and given the the situation and setup, it, that's very natural. As if these people are, you know, he, one is relegated to a clerk's position and, you know, just putting on this facade to interact with the public all day and then going in, you yeah, his main source of enjoyment is, you know, playing games at night. Um, you know, hers is, you know, putting on that mask all day long while playing the game, uh, having, you know, lost her, you know, adult face, so to speak. Um, uh, but you also have to acknowledge that this anime by making, uh, mori the, the object of affection, uh, for the male is basically just degrading her to the point where she is the cute gaming girl with the big bust who you know the the big nerd who shares this nerd hobby, and so oh, that's
4: just for the average size,
2: yeah, but the camera zooms in on it multiple times as if it's something like amazing, and yeah, I love her character design, I really do it's very thirty you know, like older thirty ish I like it um but uh. Yeah, I, I had I had problems with that. Uh,
1: I didn't think I didn't think the show ever took anything away from her character. She was always who she was, even though, yeah, it makes her, you know, soccerized love interest, it didn't, didn't I didn't think it ever diminished her as a person or took agency away from her. I, I
3: think I think it does at some point do take away from her. Uh, it also like I didn't mention earlier like, there's, like, an adherence, like, to, like, some, like, standard of beauty for women. Like, oh, mm. like, women are supposed to look this way, or otherwise they're worthless.
2: Because there's that whole scene with her buying the makeup and then... The, like, uh, through the whole show, it's like,
3: oh, I, you know, I'm not, like, upholding this standard of beauty of how a woman should be... And like, like when her, uh, like when she gets hungry, like oh, that's so unbecoming of a woman to like have her stomach rumble. Uh, some of that stuff was like, eh, I could do without this.
4: I always thought it was embarrassing if your stomach rumbled really loudly and if you were. Yeah, but
3: she worked. was the only one that it happened to, so I, I felt like it was in a different context than just like, oh. Everyone gets hungry. Well,
1: I, I, I assume that that was because she's the only one who didn't have a job and didn't take care of herself because she played MMOs all day and night. Yeah, but there's Honestly,
3: never
4: a question it it because my mom's stomach is the loudest stomach I've ever known. <laughs> so I was just like, okay,
0: so
3: there's never a question of like, oh, does she eat enough though? Like, because she's always going to the convenience store. She's
0: mm-hmm. always going to the convenience store, but that doesn't mean she's always eating. Like, you see her grabbing beer, you see her looking at food, but she's not
3: always. Yeah, there. but there's also there's also you know in the beginning of the show she's chugging sapporo, but you know after she starts doing the in real life meetups she's like oh i'm weak with alcohol which like what how are you weak with alcohol you just chugged like a couple beers earlier
4: she could be having something more hardcore she could have been having like liquors instead
0: it could Uh. be that like she just takes a beer out drinks it over the course of one eight-hour gaming session
3: no because there's a there's a scene where she just cracks it open and just chugs the whole thing down that was a special occasion (laughs) <laughs> I, I felt like that was an every night, not a special occasion.
2: She can do it once. She can do it every day. She,
3: she buys the
2: Sapporo multiple
3: times, so I just figured, like, oh, yeah, no, that's just a regular, you know, weekday night. You know, you buy a couple beers, and then you play Fruit de Mer's.
0: Well, I mean, even if it's three, you're probably hitting like a lot harder when you're going out.
3: Uh, the time she goes out, it looks like she has a, one... Well, we don't know how many cocktails she has, but I think she has a cocktail. And then when she's with Koi Wai, she has wine. But but she's she well, she plays
0: it off. Beer.
3: Yeah, but she plays it off like she's a lightweight. Like uh, I'm not experienced with alcohol. I don't know. I mean, it also I, depends
4: on I, how much she's been eating beforehand. That makes a real difference to mm. drinking, as my friends instructed me in college.
3: Like I thought it was public, just
0: a weird a public perception of like oh, duh, I did this weird thing, I must not be used to it. Like, she's making excuses for herself rather than anything truthful. I
3: don't know, I just thought it was odd.
4: Yeah, for scenes like her dressing up and everything like that, I just sort of ignored them since that's not something I really care about in my own life. Like, yeah, they, they were definitely there, but I never felt like the show sexualized her or anything. Like, Sakurai has a crush on her, but she has a crush on him back. It didn't seem like either of them were trying to demean the other they are both seeing them as someone who seems attractive-looking and has an attractive
2: mind. Oh, yeah, and that's that's how the, the characters see each other, but that's not how the show necessarily sees the characters.
4: I and, like that's how the show saw the characters as well, or if anything, it saw as Sakurai as the more damsel in distress, like, from the OVA. Like, <laughs> well, more prone to being flustered even than Moriko, amazingly.
2: Very much so. But, yeah, uh, I, d- yeah.
1: I don't know if I can comment on the way that the show presented it, because... The show, the way that it presented Morico is like 120 billion percent like my shit, like <laughs> the, the, the the baggy pants and the giant hoodie yeah. and the disheveled hair. I was like, this is pandering directly to me. Like, so I don't know. Like, I'm like, this, yeah, like, is this is is the show sexualizing her? To me, yeah, but to 99.9% of the world, absolutely not. So, like, that's one of the things that I kept thinking about throughout the show is I didn't think it was portraying her in some weird, fetishized light, but it totally was for me, but I'm a weirdo. It just hit on Chris's kink
2: perfectly <laughs>
1: by accident. Basically, yeah. It,
2: it, it just reduces it to uh, certain database points. Like, it's not all of them. But it's some of them, and it was. I just found that like I, I hated it because she, I liked her character in general, and I was like, oh, why do you have to make her like look super pretty when she gets done up in makeup and you know Because goes you don't look super pretty and... when
4: you do makeup. You've done makeup wrong. <laughs> is the entire point of makeup?
2: <laughs> right, right. But wouldn't having her not look as pretty as pretty after doing makeup? I mean, understandably, she, she has been doing it, but like you know, it's it's been part it of her adult life, but like. If if you have her, like, do makeup wrong and just look off because she's trying to look beautiful. I think that would be a much better statement.
4: I mean, to get really pedantic here, it's really hard to make people look ugly in anime without going just, yeah. like, completely <laughs> grotesque <laughs> over the line. Like, hey, it would hey, be listen. really hard for you guys to show that, like, her eyeliner was done kind of weirdly and smudged or her mascara started rubbing off on her cheeks. And that would just be minor stuff that you wouldn't make someone look ugly in real life, just, like... They rushed, and they didn't have enough time to fix it. That would be really hard. So, frankly, yeah, I mean, for make... And it would just be so hard to do something subtle, like the wrong blush color or, like, the wrong lipstick. Like, I just don't think Amy's
1: equipped to do that, frankly. Mm. She was pretty all the time, Ink. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> she was, was but the, but the, the, show, doesn't, show, the doesn't
3: show doesn't think so.
1: Lies, did you see how the show made her glow after she got done taking a shower at Sakurai's place to warm up from the rain? All right, the show adores her almost as much as I do. <laughs> I actually read it I actually read somebody's blog post recently that
4: apparently in Japan like everybody always showers before having sex, so that made watching those scenes a
1: lot different. I was like,
4: wait, are they really going to go
1: there? That's why she got so freaked out. She's like, "Oh shit, what am I doing?" <laughs> yep.
3: I was more thinking of it, "Oh god, why am I in this man's house? I don't even know this man." <laughs> and I'm now I'm naked. <laughs> <laughs> you, she knows that's Lily. She doesn't know Sakurai. The maybe Sakurai's so- huh? an axe murderer. I don't want to see it. murderer no, that's
1: not isn't
0: true. very efficient. I want to see the spin-off anime where Lily is an axe murderer.
4: <laughs> Lily didn't get what she wanted from the Nagasha. Now she's going to steal it from
1: others. <laughs> Lily is what happened when Hearth went wrong. Oh,
4: oh, another little silly thing is that I think Rebecca Silverman over at um, ANN when they were doing um, their fall preview guide, I think she mentioned in there that Fruits de mer actually means seafood in French.
3: Do what?
4: <laughs> yeah, Fruit like, of the sea. Seafood, yeah. Uh-huh. So that was on my mind the entire that time. That doesn't I was make watching any show. sense. It's French. French doesn't usually make sense. No, well... <laughs> those
0: ground
1: apples.
4: <laughs> <laughs> They're not even in the same family of food.
1: <laughs> Fruit of the sea.
4: The show had a lot of little weird moments like that where I don't think it was intentionally funny or intentionally seafood. supposed to be funny, but it just fuck? amused me. I what think is-
3: that shows Japanese whoever came up well, I guess it would be Dean Kokio who came up with it uh but that there's there's no there's no fish there's no, it's like there's like bears and rats and zombies, maybe there's no seafood. <laughs>
4: Well, Hayashi and Lily did share that special moment <laughs> under the sea in, like, the first episode. Oh, yeah, they,
3: there is that underwater world. Okay. All right, all right, I'm back in.
2: Okay. So that that, that <laughs> was the, fruit of, <laughs> the fruits of their meeting, was the fruits of the sea.
1: Frankie Harding for Frankie Harding.
3: Yeah, where they go in that sea anemone.
1: That's good.
2: Have their moment.
1: I was having Finding Nemo flashbacks.
2: Can we all just break out into under the sea now? <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's okay. Yeah. Uh.
0: Have we uh, exhausted thoughts on recovery of an MMO junkie slash the other guy I I a really,
1: I have a really, really good question, though, for you, Corey. Yep. <clears throat> What's the show about? I don't
0: know. <laughs> um, Chris, do you want to do the thing where you talk about what the show is about?
4: <laughs>
1: no, I'm Chris, go- you should I have
4: brought th- this up earlier. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think at this point. They'll just be like, wow, what are they talking about? And then they'll look up the synopsis and they'll be like, that doesn't match exactly with what they were talking about. I'll have to watch it. I think that's a good hook. All right. This show has nothing to do with seafood. As far as I know. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. uh, well any, anyone have any closing thoughts on Recovery of an MMO Junkie?
3: Um, Mamiko Noto is the best. And she made Moriko even better. She's the voice actor.
4: If you want a romance and it's not about high schoolers,
2: here's one. Please enjoy. That treats its main characters who are older exactly like teenagers. Uh, as someone who is approaching forty, um, yeah, I, I don't think this is the uh, adult rom-com you want, but it is lighthearted, fun, and it does not feature teenagers. So enjoy that laugh. There are laughs and there is heart and there is uh, the uh, you know warm moments. So. Enjoy
1: it. I don't. I don't think it quite is the hype level that I have been seeing on the internet, but it is really, really good and worth everyone's time to watch it. I enjoyed the, the hell out of it. It made me made me smile in my soul. I think Did it make your heart go doki doki? Doki doki, like you couldn't believe. <laughs> I'm in love with Morty chan <laughs> I need to. I need to, isekai myself directly <laughs> to seafood. The, the fruit of marriage. And- <laughs> and then
0: you can wear the hero I can wear the
1: heart armor armor. (laughs) yeah I will rock that shit like you wouldn't believe (laughs) just remember you can't take it off that's okay okay
0: let's put some clothes on over it will be fine (laughs) uh yes I think did live up to the hype machine um I really like the show it's like if I was watching the uh the thing that happened after Sword Art Online and it was actually good hey (laughs)
4: <laughs> I mean, the you show technically never did happen after Sword out. Art Online, so...
0: Well, uh, Helen, where can we find you on the internet?
4: You can find me in a lot of places. Uh, you can find me a lot on Twitter, at Wandering Dreamer. You can find me writing over at the OASG. You can find me at the OASG's podcast. Uh, it's Not My Fault This Podcast is Not Popular. No, that's the title. I'm not defending it. I didn't name it.
3: Uh, you is that a Watemote on... reference? Yes. <laughs> Okay.
4: Um, you can find me on the Taiku Podcast sister podcast, Long um, in Your Ears, and I am starting to revive my old blog, Narrative Investigations. I've been doing the Twelve Days of Anime to get myself going, although so far it's been mostly Twelve Days of Shit posting. So,
0: <laughs> 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 the OSG needs another podcast. In fact, like we're sorry the other podcast title was so long, so please listen to this one. <laughs> Which like doesn't really resolve the long title thing. Like it's funny. I was yeah, that's why we
4: off. usually just call it the OASG podcast.
2: So I was actually hoping Helen's uh, die drive after her the title the naming of the title was part of the title as well. No, <laughs> like, it needs to be longer.
1: <laughs> we wouldn't be able to fit in a tweet. <laughs> you can now, even with the two eighty characters now. Even with the two eighty characters, we would not be oh. able to fit the whole thing.
0: Gosh. Well, alright, uh, let's take a break. I'll be back with everybody but Helen to talk about 2Car. Oh boy. Thank God. Can't wait. Can't wait. Bye. Bye, Helen. We are back. Everyone is here from the last segment, except for Helen. Say hello, everyone.
2: She's missing out. Bye, Helen. She couldn't stomach two-car. That's all I'm saying.
0: No one needs to stomach (laughs) two-car. If you did not get the indication, we are here to talk about Ink's top anime of 2017, two-car.
2: Not the top. A top.
0: Second place. (laughs) So who's the bottom of two-car? (laughs)
2: <laughs> the there are a lot of bottoms in two-car.
0: Well, all right, Inc. Since you are the two-car expert of this podcast, would you like to break down what the show is about?
2: Sure. Okay, so two-car racing sidecar is a, uh, a motorsports anime based around the uh, motorsport of sidecar racing, or kneeler racing, which is actually a thing, which I had no idea about. Uh, but I suggest everyone go on YouTube and look up Neela racing, uh, like, actual races because some of them are shot like really beautifully and you get a much better sense of sort of the speed and the danger than the the anime ever shows you but um it's uh it's it's a it's a it's a sport where you have a a driver and a kneeler and they have to work sort of syncopetically um yes. uh, where you know, without words and you know one balance one provides sort of a human ballast aspect to it and the other is you know you know, traversing the course, and uh, throughout the anime, you meet seven teams of these girls, um, and they all sort of are one big family, but they all have their individual issues as well as issues as teammates. And there is a larger uh, frame in which the hometown team uh, has, or their their teammates are competing for the uh, uh, in, in romantic rivalry for their coach. Uh, I think that's pretty much it.
0: Yep, they don't show the coach's face. For like ten episodes, that was that was that was, a, right? that was a big
3: mistake. That was a big mistake. Like what, the, sorry, showing showing the, yes, the whole <laughs>
2: the, the whole like end of the show was a mistake.
1: <laughs> I, I love, it, what, the, I
2: love what, the film aspect. Like I, I really hope they would have carried through on that.
1: It, it, one correction to, to what Ink was saying is the setup. We we don't meet seven teams. We meet six teams. There okay. is a seventh team that you see their faces and they're given names in the recap episode of number nine, but you do not fucking meet these two characters at all throughout the other 11 goddamn episodes.
3: What do you mean? There are seven teams.
1: Okay. <laughs> you don't meet the seventh team at all. Like, there are just two character designs in the background, like the three times they show up over the, the first- course. of The goth lollies? No, they, she had like purple hair, like for real. They so every team gets like two episodes or maybe one episode. Yeah, it the Gosolalis
3: didn't get an episode.
1: Yeah, and then in the recap episode of episode nine, which there was a fucking well, recap there's, there's episode none, at episode nine. There's two
3: recap episodes. That recap episode was. There's cool two out. because there's well there's the first one where they actually like do some interesting stuff with uh by like redubbing previous uh stuff that they already showed but then the episode after that they replay the exhibition race uh because technically all the flashbacks are over and now it's back in present day
1: mm-hmm. But but they, they, then they they show up there. I'm I'm saying I'm not saying there aren't seven teams. I'm simply picking. Yeah yeah the Two of the characters literally don't matter that fucking much that they you just see them like twice. Well, and that's they're, kind they're,
2: of the beauty of the show is everything is presented no as two. There's beauty 2D. of the
1: show, Inc. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: but there is because like you you have all these just like stereotypes thrown out there. You have the 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 childhood friends. You have the twinsiest of twinsies. You have you know, the goth lolis, you have the sadomasochistic pair, and all these things are just one-note sort of things that you don't expect to actually build anything. But by the latter half of the the, the latter half of the season, you actually start seeing how relationships affect one another and the whole group and all of that sort of thing. And it's nice to see everything sort of come together. I think they did a really good job of it, except the goth lolis who, like I said, never really get explored at all. They're just there to be. Godful,
1: so many things to say to you, Inc. So <laughs> I mean,
3: I I agree with that. Um, the I thought it was because when I first started this, I mean, I didn't know I, I didn't know what to expect, but I was hoping like something more like, not like in the horror or the ridiculous absurdity of Yomishi Petal, Pedal, but like something that had the, the same focus on the sport, whereas. I feel like even though this, even though two car has a reverence for the sport, it uh, especially the first half of the show is it's more interested in the characters that are participating than the sport itself. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I did like e- how there was each like um, like each episode like was exploring each of the characters. Uh, I don't think they all work. Like I think the twins episode. It was like two or three episodes. I don't think that really worked because the conclusion they came to, I feel like... Fucking creepy. ...is really depressing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Let's not have any individuality. Let's just be each other.
3: <laughs> yeah, that was disturbing. Um, but, uh, like, the, f- the first team, uh, Lightning Tornade, or Tornado, whatever the f- <laughs> Whatever <laughs> bad English that is. Um, I really like that one. Like I actually cried on that one because that was a few weeks ago when I watched it, so I don't really remember the circumstances. But like, like the rich, yeah, yeah, like the rich girl and then the poor girl like coming together and like like discovering like like friendship within each other. I don't know, it it was really good. And then like the sadist and masochistic girls, that was it was really interesting because I feel like. Like, it doesn't explicitly say it, but I feel like they want their roles to be swapped because they keep having these dreams where they're in the uh, the opposite roles. But then, like, when they're on the track, you know, they're uh Izumi, the purple hair girl, she's, you know, the the sadist. And then says the masochist. But then they have those dreams, and it's, I don't know, it was really funny.
2: That was, that was a great introduction, like, it was, I think that was one of the cold opens to one of the episodes. Was just that. Uh,
3: yeah, the dream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's in the dominatrix outfit,
2: <laughs> which is which just like that was episode four, and like episode by episode three, I, th- I thought like, okay, this is this is rather mundane. It's you know just cute girls doing cute things. There's no context of this racing. It doesn't have any feel for it, but there's something. I just said something going on, and as soon as this episode four hit that dream sequence, I was like, they're going for it. They're just going balls to the wall, and they're just going to do whatever the hell they want, and I'm like, I'm so ready What right are you this.
1: talking about? <laughs> they didn't go balls to the wall. They didn't do anything out of the ordinary at all. Why do you keep saying this? I need to understand. There's no parody. There's no satire. It is, is the most mundane thing ever even the whole dominatrix side swap dream thing that's not them reaching that is like pop psychology 101 and it completely fit in with everything else in the entire show it exactly. wasn't played up it wasn't played down it just was
2: <laughs> but they it to its fullest because it's all about teammates and trust issues and being open with your partners and all that but if you're saying there's no if they're say, you're saying there's no parody what is Hitomi and Mao, man? Oh,
3: Hitomi and Mao are, like...
2: Best girls.
3: <laughs> yes. They, Hitomi and Mao and then I, the announcer, are, like, my favorite characters. Because Hitomi and Mao, they're, like... Like, when you first, like, see one of their scenes, like... You don't really get... You don't really understand, like, the relationship they have yet. Uh, and I feel like it's not until, uh where they do, like, with the cards... Oh, and, God, and she's that's... trying to and she's trying to guess what's on the card, and she just keeps saying star, I think, and it's wrong every time. But they never like give up the dream. They're like, no, we're connected forever. Like, and they just keep trying and trying. Oh, it's it's, it's, so it's good. soap
2: opera to the nines, and it's just it's it's standalone segments that are just meant to rip you out of everything and just go. Here's some blatant. Uh, melodrama for you—that's you know over the top and out of place. Now we're just going to slam me back into the story, and I—I I, I got the hugest kick out of that.
3: And then, and then they even have a part where like it's like fourth wall breaking where they get uh, like feedback from fans, and the fans are like, "What? What are you talking about? You 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 two aren't connected at all." And they're like, "What?"
0: Uh, it's really good. Corey,
2: you're awfully silent over there.
0: Yeah, I'm somewhere between y'all. Uh I, ha- I don't have the same vitriolic hatred as, as Chris does. Well, I, I, sh-
1: I, sh- I should yeah. try to reframe. I don't have vitriolic hatred. This is the most mediocre, generic-ass <laughs> girls' bullshit, but it continually singing. satire, it's parody, it's actually doing something, pisses me the fuck off because it is the most Mundane and mediocre bullshit show. It's not bad. It's not super terrible. And by any means, it's just, it's very it. And it, it works on what it's doing, but it is not doing anything special or nor is it trying to. But Ink keeps fucking saying so, <laughs> and it has created a vitriolic hatred inside of me because it's the most mundane and mediocre fucking show of the whole goddamn year. I swear to God. Would you say it
2: is the hamburger style show of the year, the Jap- uh, the hamburger style anime of the year. What does that mean? <sighs> it's it's a running gag that starts to appear in like episode four I think and goes through episode seven.
1: Oh, the, it's only in episode four and no, no. you beat it, it to the the ground in that five minute span and oh, then no, it come back he, to it two minutes later. It's dumb. It, it exactly, it's great because it's dumb because it No, no, dumb. it's just dumb
2: <laughs> Yeah, but what other
3: anime has a copy paste joke? Well like, several. That was, that was so good because they're like, oh, it's like control V for the twins and then the other girl's like, wait, control C, control V, you mean like right click and then click on
2: paste? Uh, And I'm pretty sure one of the episodes started with a grammar correction that, that made me like a fall.
3: And there was also that, uh, one of the Hitomi Mao scenes, like, uh, Hitomi like makes this gasp that is like, I don't know, it's, like, it's a level of gasp that the show was not asking for, but it received anyway, uh, and it was really good.
2: So what did you guys think of the actual, like, animation? Because one of the things I actually really thought was not done well, but I thought the uh, their intentions were really good, was uh, having the, the, the kneeler move during turns while the camera was stationary and not really focusing on the two characters, just focusing on the bike moving down the track, and you could see the, the kneeler changing positions while that was happening. And I thought that was a, a good level of detail, even though it wasn't detailed in and of itself.
1: I personally was very impressed that they somehow um, got Buichi Terasawa to be a guest animation director, to make sure that all those asses have all the details in line. <laughs> um, for the listening audience, Buichi. I don't Teresawa- feel like it... <laughs> Buichi Terra is the creator of uh, Space Adventure Cobra and is internationally known as an ass man. Just watch Cobra. Those asses. That's that's the level we were getting at here.
3: I don't feel like it focuses on that, though. No, I
1: didn't say it focused on it, but if you look, those are some fucking detailed asses.
3: I mean, they're wearing racing suits.
1: It, but it's, so it's not leering at the asses, but those they're detailed. Like, it was really weird. Because I mean, it wasn't... I was expecting it to leer with how much detail they put in the asses.
3: The 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 sidecars are very detailed, too.
1: They are. It's, it, it like,
3: like, impressively detailed, like, more than I was expecting. Especially, like, retroactively because of the those two recaps. Yeah, and the CG, I thought, was fine. Like, it worked.
1: I didn't think the CG worked at all. Really? Like, no. Like, it was so jarring because you could tell... They kept trying to move the, 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 the kneeler, which when they do it and they actually animated it, like they put in the time to make it look really good animated, but then it switches to the CG and the kneeler is still moving. Like that is the most jarring ass bullshit. Like I was really upset because the cars look like the CG for the cars blends, but the way that they move and the way that the kneelers are moving on them was super unnatural. Like, it freaked me out.
2: The thing that got me with the, 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 the kneelers, uh, the, the racing kneelers, was, uh, you know, when they were going in a straight line, they were always sort of doing that spy hunter wiggle, and, you know, they, they could be going around a the turn, they could be going straight, but they're still, like, wiggling back and forth by, like, a half an inch, and I'm like, uh, that's, that's kind of dangerous. They never thought the CG was really competent there.
1: Hmm. But I will, I, will, I will concede with you, Camelia. It's it's not like Love Live season one CG. It's it's not like Japan has come a long way. Well, yeah, I just okay. <laughs> so it's not that bad.
3: I just finished Attack on Titan season two, and in in there, uh, the colossal Titan is CG this time, and it looks so bad. Oh boy. Uh, uh, but like an you know two car can get away with a little more because it's like it's not as grand in scale so the CG is easier i feel like it's easier
2: to blend in mm-hmm. also doesn't have the expectation thrust upon it like attack on titan does. <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> and also they they do a lot with camera angles in in two car to to, oh, layer the bus. Angles, to uh, <laughs> <laughs> well to to keep things like changing because it's easier than left
0: cheek to right cheek.
1: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh. I'm telling you, the butts were so, super, super prominent in this thing. Like I was, I was, I was taken back.
2: I mean, literally every scene, every racing scene where they're not CG, like they are, you know, thrusting the posteriors into the camera, a la Kejo. Um And you know, I, I I I didn't fault it for that. I found it all the more humorous because again, they're just. Pushing that boundary of how no, how you the they want to do.
1: It's an anime thing to have butts in the camera, <laughs> just like with the bouncing boobs. They're not doing anything, ink. It's very adorable.
2: But they did. Oh,
1: plus they, have
0: to, they so. like, like five minute sequences in the hot spring where they're just talking, and like they're not really being leery about anything because no one's standing up, nothing's being blocked. Well, I mean everything's being blocked because they're sitting in the hot spring, but like. No one's standing up, and then having something blocked, usually. They're just talking about stuff, and it's like, talk about it somewhere else.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like it's a. L- I mean, I don't know how many women worked on this show, but I feel like there's something to be said for an anime about racing, motor- like, motorsports, and, like, all the girl. It's just, like, all girls, and they, like, all do... All- they are all do all their own maintenance, and, like, they can weld and, like, do, like... Like, hook up their car to a computer and, like, like I feel like it's a little progressive in that way, even though maybe the intentions behind it could be questionable. Um, especially with the coach, what the fuck, but...
2: Uh, yeah, that's, like, the one drawback, and I'd, I'd agree with you, Camellia, on uh, on everything you just said. Just that, that, that one thing with the that the purpose behind the coach, but behind the... the yeah, I, the rationale behind those two girls just, just sort of yeah. drags everything down because they're racing for him instead of themselves.
3: Yeah, like, I think Yudi and Megumi are interesting because they, like, hate each other to some extent. Uh, so it was interesting for the ostensibly main characters to have that sort of relationship. But the, the show doesn't understand how creepy it is for them to be in love with the coach. And the coach... Like there's there was there's was, there was a little bit of hope there at the end where the coach is like Oh, I'm marrying this adult lady and I wanted you to meet her and I was like, Okay, maybe it's gonna pull out of this and then uh no it doesn't. It 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 didn't learn anything, it knows nothing. And at the very end it's like nah I'd like yeah, they're in love with the coach and this is how it's gonna be. Like it's and, and totally okay. okay.
1: That whole thing is only one small part of of, of why the, the narrative of the show completely fails, because that's the running theme. Ink said earlier that it starts to come together in the second half. No, I, I was able to figure out exactly what it was doing from the start. Um, when you have the very first um, side episodes where all of a sudden it randomly goes off to other characters, it took me a while to figure out that, oh, they're just going to do little... uh exposés on these other teams but at the end of the the first exposé if you will the end of that first team side arc the lessons learned from that team themselves that improves them and makes them better racers and better teammates apply directly to the main pair the main team our quote-unquote heroes and that that was what they were doing they were having all these side stories where all these other teams were in conflict and they were all Smaller functions of the larger problem that existed between the two main people. And at the end of each of those stories, you think that the two main people might be learning something and growing to get to an end point, because that's the whole point behind this type of narrative device. And it fucking doesn't. And then when it gets to the whole thing with the coach, it not only is ignored and invalidated any narrative worth of the entire previous 10 episodes, but it's a step backwards. Like you were saying, Camelia, it completely reverts any possible progression. Like, I mean, how whole, do you fail that bad when that's that's your narrative hook? Like, that's the style, that's that's how you're trying to tell the story, and you completely drop the ball. Like, what the hell? Uh,
0: the whole issue, yeah, what, what you're saying, Chris, is that like they go through this, they start learning, start learning, start learning, and around episode ten, they're like, maybe we shouldn't fight over this guy, maybe we should be friends, and then he's like, no, i guess kidding, I'm not, I'm not getting married or whatever, and then he's like. Well, maybe we should fight over this guy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, they they also go to the point where they they try to justify his uh, inability to keep maintain that relationship with the. That was so weird. because she they have uh, her call him a child, and that immediately sets it up like, oh, okay, well now he's in their territory. No, no, he's not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely but, not. <laughs>
2: But if, if, if
0: you, you act want to look like at a it, child and are 30 years old, it's totally fine to date a 17-year-old.
2: Garden <laughs> words. Um, <laughs> but if, if you're looking at it as you know this uh, antithesis to an expectation of a usual sports anime, it's like yeah, no one learned anything because it has a fatalistic attitude towards personal growth and what teammates can accomplish with each other because they're always trying to backstab each other.
1: No, the show is not fatalistic <laughs> at all because the optimism in how teammates can improve is shown by the seven fucking stories that they tell across the first ten episodes. It's yep. only the main characters and the way that it's supposed to cr- come together that that fails on. And, and <laughs> they even fail on trying to make it fatalistic and twist it by when they start fighting in the rain. Like, I hate you. I hate you. Oh, wait, and you really hate me? Word. Yeah, the next word out of their mouth is, do you hate me? And they say, I wanted to race because of you. I wanted to race because of you, too. And they get in the car and keep racing. They don't even finish the fucking argument that they're having to come to any conclusion. This show is not good, Inc., it's not a setup. Well, I mean, it, It's it, it, not it's, a parody. It's, it's not good. so bad. It's good. There's nothing to this very generic show.
3: It's good until, you know, the recap starts. And then that's gonna
2: fall apart. <laughs> I thought We're, I thought for a recap episode that was actually a really good recap episode. With because they had the A V club people sort of yeah. and remix it that way. There's no reason for a recap episode. No, well, so I mean,
1: episode nine. It's not even episode eleven. Like right before the finale, it's an episode nine. You're just barely halfway through the show. Yeah.
3: I really, I think my favorite episode is probably Eyes episode. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I could identify
1: with her a lot. Is that the announcer lady? Yeah. She was weird. Yeah. I didn't like hey. that because I didn't what? like them all. Like, what? That was a, that's a one-time joke. The not feel like a joke. I mean, one time her... jokes that are beaten to the ground.
3: I feel like her story is not a joke, but like
1: no, no, no the the, the fact her
3: that idiosyncrasy she... is is a joke, but yes,
1: but that's like but her it story just... was built around that idiosyncrasy. Give yeah. her a microphone, and now all of a sudden she's this loud, obnoxious, bombastic character. It, well, the
3: well with the episode, I felt like it was. I mean. I'm not going to give it this much credit because it doesn't deserve it. But um, like you could see how in a way she might have depression or something Um, like she doesn't believe like she can do anything. She doesn't like anyone else. Uh, And it and it just it's just like bubbling up this whole time. And then when she gets the microphone, she just like explodes with emotion. Uh, I just that scene. I just thought it was really amazing. I don't know. It made me cry. Uh but CD Camellia
2: laughed and cried. This was a great anime.
3: It was great until, you know,
0: the end. So that doesn't make a great <laughs> anime. Like anime Which, or an- media can twist your emotions in ways that are manipulative and make you cry or laugh.
3: I don't think whatever. it was being manipulative.
1: Use of music, use of camera angles, that's yeah. all manipulation.
2: You, you put a piano and strings in there, like your audience is going to start crying, or be more prone to start crying than they would have had had they had different instruments or no music at all.
0: Yeah, I don't think this was like uh, sinisterics manipulation. Yeah. It was just like but it's like creating like uh, entertainment media manipulation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't no, know, I just... no, no sinister maliciousness, it's just that's how movies and TV shows work.
3: Yeah, I just, I just liked how she like said like everything and then at the end everyone was like all like reassuring to her, like there was no like, like how could you think that or like, I don't know, it was very comforting. It it was sort of the, it was sort of the same thing as the, with, with the first two characters, with the rich girl and the poor girl, Chiyuki and Misaki, but like more intense. Because I felt like I could relate to it more, but I remember no one's name from this show. I don't either.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to rewatch the uh, an episode just to remember Hitomi and Mal. <laughs> they were my favorite part of the show. Well,
3: I have the characters up on the screen, so it also helps.
2: I thought,
1: Which I I, th- I thought I thought the Hitomi and Mal stuff like that was pretty good because when, when, when it first came up, it reminded me of Utena, Yes, far Greek, Greek chorus. Yeah. Um. I like is a
0: good and This one is less good. Yeah. Hey. So, but
1: the thing that was bugging me like the whole time, every time they would show up, I would be like, Who the fuck are these people? <laughs> it's like, you literally see them for 0. 0.2 milliseconds in the first episode when they're like, Here's team one, here's team two, here's team three. And then when the recap happened in episode nine and they redid, Here's team one, here's team two, here's team three, I was like, Oh, they're part of the fucking racers that are in here. <laughs> like where the fuck did that come from? Yeah, it took me right, till about their fourth or fifth appearance
0: for me to realize what? that they were racers.
1: What? I knew that they were racers, but I thought maybe they were like, you know, judges that had come in or something, not like actually one of the seven active fucking teams. I'm
0: actually I'm when hurt. they were in like the announcer flashback episode, I was like, I don't remember these racers.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm hurt. <laughs> Yeah, they don't they don't get their own episode. Their their whole relationship is told like Every like
0: episode. throughout the whole show. I think their T bit was the funniest one. Every bit was the funniest one. Yeah, yeah T bit was definitely the funniest one. <laughs>
1: What if I told you all their jokes were technically exactly the same, just using different props? They were the oh, they same.
2: Were.
0: That's what made it gray. <laughs> That's why the T one was the funniest, because it <laughs> was
2: the best one. Because T is better than. Best execution. T is better than tarot cards. Although, then again, it's Those Canada, are tarot I
1: cards. I can't remember what they call those. They're just. Oh,
2: yeah. they're, they're the Kakagurui cards. They're, they're like the. I, 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 yes.
1: I think of them as like the psychic cards, because in the first Ghostbusters, that's the test that Bill Murray is doing. To test for ESP and his students, it's those same same cards with the shapes on them. That's all I associate those cards with. do you know.
2: And now two car?
1: No, never two car.
2: <laughs> I don't think those cards.
1: <laughs> so I have a question ink. for Ink. I have a question for Ink.
0: Is it about Love Live? It is.
1: <laughs> do you realize that the end of episode eleven and the first half of episode twelve of Two Car is literally the exact same story? From the end of episode 11 and the beginning of episode 12 in Love Live.
2: What? I, I remembered so little of Love Live. I in, Lo- in Love in Love Live season
1: one, they're 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 at their final preliminary match, you know, oh. concert, and Honoka fucking gets sick, and there's the rain, and everybody's Oh, shit. And ambulances. You're and right. Then the oh episode, yeah. They start fucking <laughs> fighting. They start infighting and that leads to the whole Katori. She's leaving and no, you're my best friend. No, you're my best friend. It's literally the same fucking story arc that is here in Two Car, except, oh, they got into an accident and the redhead girl.
3: She really shouldn't have been racing. That was very irresponsible.
1: <laughs> I just, I, I was thinking about this when I watched those episodes last night. I was like, man, so Ink loves Two Car so fucking much. And here it is, like. Beat for beat, goddamn Love Live! And I recall this being the one part of the first season of Love Live that Ink actually actively disliked.
2: Huh? No, that's for a different reason though. That was for the reason Kotori was leaving, uh, the fact that uh, Maki was saying like no go or something. I can't remember the exact, exact thing. It was it was the circumstances surrounding uh the, the, oh I never I remember now it was now, uh Honoka right the green girl.
5: What? Oh it's not the green girl, me.
2: she's the main girl. <laughs> oh uh who is the green girl with the fashion uh Katori. Yeah, that's Kotori. She she like had this, this uh opportunity and she you know kind of was denied that <sighs> by having the other girls wanting to, you know, keep her there. Um, but that was a that was a different podcast. It's
1: Friendship Inc. And then also when we just did the the Secret like Santa none, podcast.
2: None of, these, none of these girls had anything else to do, so they all drove together, and that's, that was fine.
1: Yeah, in, in the in the Secret Santa podcast where, where Pat's watched Love Live, that was like the one thing that he disliked about the first season as well, because all of a sudden it tried to interject, interject all this drama when it didn't really fit with the rest of the show. Oh, I'm still talking about two car, and I just keep pretending to say love live. But that—that's what the thing is. Like two car just keeps injecting drama for no, no! reason. No, it's,
2: it's awesome.
1: just <laughs> plot beats. <laughs> it's, so it's the most cookie cutter, cut and paste from other things. Control and C, C
5: control V. <laughs>
1: like, and this is an anime original. This—it's not based off a manga or anything. This is literally a committee sat down and copy pasted from so many different... I wouldn't say that. Oh my god, I would totally say that. I think I did. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <sighs> the
2: other thoughts.
1: We're finally done with the hey, two-car I podcast.
2: This so. can uh... go to the
1: dark corner where it belongs and never I don't... <laughs> ever again.
3: Was there a, an episode with the girls with the uh, the octopus and the takoyaki in her hair?
1: No, those are that's the seventh team. But well, no, th- about earlier.
3: Well, no, there, there's ignored. there's goth Lollies, which is team sixty six, and there's team twenty two, which is.
1: So there's two teams we actually don't actually well, need.
3: Weirdly enough, it's the two Kansai bin teams, the two teams from uh, the Kansai area. One's from Osaka, and the other one's from
0: Kyoto.
1: It was racist on top of it. Uh, yeah, maybe they like. <laughs>
0: None of them Maybe. actually have those Kansai accents. They're like, y'all actors are not convincing. We're not giving. Well,
1: I really
3: like. I, don't know, I like that they. I always like to hear the the accents.
0: So. Mm. Well, any uh, any closing thoughts on two car? Yeah. <laughs> and
1: if you if you look at the show and you think that it's something that you would enjoy, you can go ahead and watch it. It's not bad. It's not good. It exists. And it's in your wheelhouse if you if you like it. Cool do not watch this show because you saw Inc. posting a .2 millisecond blip where the girl's bike lifts up in the air, and he fucking...
3: The Gs.
1: Did, he did the goddamn <laughs> screenshot equivalent of finding the in-between and saying, oh, look how funny and silly this show is when you don't even fucking notice it in the actual context of the show. And he, he says it's a satire or a parody. Don't watch it because you will be angry because that is not what it is. <laughs> But if, if you just w- want to watch a cute girls racing show that has little character bits and little side stories, it's fine. Go ahead and watch it. Don't listen to Ink. <laughs> At all. Ink, what are your final thoughts? He's mostly right.
5: Uh, <laughs> but
2: also enjoy it for the understated and over-exaggerated comedy that runs throughout the show. Uh, because while it is, you know... A, it uses sport, motor sports as its its vehicle of choice. It is very much just a you know character drama, as many of the sports anime are. Uh, and vehicle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this uh, the show isn't anything like world shaking, but it was an unexpected delight that I found uh, that I, myself enjoying. And I thought this was just going to be stu- the, one of the worst shows of the season, and I watched it and I ended up actually really liking how it it. it fit all its pieces together
1: your expectations were so low that the mundane become extraordinary exactly
0: <laughs> well camellia final box. uh i liked it uh
3: until you know the second half but you know uh like the the recap of even though you know that first recap episode does some interesting things like ultimately i felt like that was, was like it was like opening the door of like, oh no, it's gonna fall apart. And then focus like the coach coming back and then showing his face and then it's just like, oh no, it it's really gonna do it.
0: Uh. Maybe the staff just like completely changed because <laughs> I feel like <laughs> on on paper it cannot change, <laughs> but like now the sub director or whatever is now the the person in charge and they're like, well, let's just fucking do something else.
3: <laughs> cuz the the two main characters uh Megumi and Yudi are like the least interesting of all of them uh and i'm i don't like how both of them are defined by their love for the coach you know uh it's like that's why I don't like uh Misaka and Attack on Titan anymore, because she's Mikasa, whoops, got back.
1: Mikasa Tsukasa. <laughs> Mikasa uh, no. cause, 'cause
3: she's she's totally defined by Eden and it's just like she has no personality of her own and like if if they just like let it go and they're like, Oh, you know, we like racing for our own reasons but that they're was, like
1: but they were <laughs> completely stupid.
3: rejected that. Uh I you know, they're I think there's reasons to watch it. You know, Hitomi, Mao, uh, I, the first two girls, uh, Chiyuki and Misaki, and, the, you know, the S&M girls.
1: I will say there, there was one episode that I actually think, like, I would recommend to people, like, hey, maybe not watch the show if you don't care, but watch this one episode. Problem is that I don't remember which episode it is. <laughs> um, it's either episode two or three um, when the... All the all the crew, uh, all the teams, they showed up on the island for the very first time, and they go out to do fireworks. Which oh, I didn't yeah. know what they meant by that, but the the animation and just watching them ride around the track, you know, with these big spiked Batman, you know, Shredder from new Ninja Turtle gloves on, scraping the ground, that was really cool, and that looked the the, the oh
3: right really yeah nice. where they all get on the like the non racing versions.
1: Yeah, like, I don't know if that that's like, really
2: good. And I don't know if that's taken from real life or if that was just something they thought of saying, hey, this could be a thing. But uh, yeah, that that was gorgeous. I love that part. Talk about
1: that.
3: I'm trying to find out what the sales are because I have a feeling they're not going to be good.
1: <laughs> no. There's <laughs> not going to be two cartoons. I mean... Uh,
3: I really don't I mean, that makes me sad because, you know... As much as, you know, some of the stereotypes and tropes that they unfortunately stick to, you know, you know, girls racing is definitely progressive. Um, so, you know, I want to see more of that. Like uh, Danica Patrick just retired from NASCAR, which is really disappointing. Uh, but because it's mostly all white males. Uh, my friend told me there's going to be a black driver now, which is... You know, that's a step forward for NASCAR.
1: Like
0: the one black uh, Republican. Yes, senator, the whatever. one. <laughs> yeah.
1: So the, the thing is, is you're probably more right on that than you think, Corey. He will be the one black Republican. No, he, no, <laughs> well, he literally
3: is. <laughs> um, But, it, you know, I, I want to see more stuff like this. So I hope it not selling because it doesn't look like because it came out on the 22nd. And looking at the sales for the week ending in the 24th, it doesn't even chart.
2: Uh. <laughs> So on that A and N poll, it was it ranked like I think it was the number it tied for amongst five shows for number eight from the bottom.
3: <laughs> eight from the bottom. <laughs> eight from the bottom. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I don't know what yeah. that they used,
1: but they had it higher than Minami Kamakura. They had it, right. it. It was like right above it. Like they were right next to each other, but they had the same number of votes. <laughs>
0: Minami Kamakura was that at least funnier. No, it wasn't.
1: It had the it had that healing anime property where it was just pleasant and nice to watch it
0: was so good
1: it happened it just it was just relaxing this doesn't this isn't relaxing like they're trying to tell a story and excite you but not really pulling it off
0: yeah well Minami Kamakura was trying to sell Kamakura. Uh, as, like, a good talent to explore on bicycles, and this one is actually trying to create drama and contention between these teams that never have drama or contention between them in the scenes that we see.
3: Oh, weird. It's actually only three volumes. It's probably because they don't expect it to sell very well. You should buy them. No, it's not. it doesn't meet the... You know, I just... <clears throat> the only ones I've bought recently are, you know, Recreators, of course, and Made in Abyss, because uh, those are just, you know, so incredible, but yeah these are like uh four episodes a volume which is
1: uh early 2000s america there's There's only
3: there's only three volumes usually there'd be six but they probably figured they couldn't get away with that yeah or seven
1: those are the ones that upset me the most (laughs) love live (laughs) your cheap 30 dollar introductory blu-ray with one episode
3: uh, Love Live Volume 1 sold 41,000 in the first week, so I think, I think there's, you know, it's doing pretty well. Two Car, on the other hand, uh, I, I don't think we're gonna see a sequel. Two Car, Two Unix. Which is a shame. Hopefully the thing they take away from this is not like, oh, people don't like girls racing. Uh, hopefully it's, maybe we need to work on the story a little better.
1: I, I don't think there's any. Japanese anime executive who thinks that girls being in their show is a negative. Yeah. No. But
3: then no, but I mean like <laughs> racing in general. Like cause like sidecar racing that's pretty niche in itself.
2: That's what I'm guessing like not a people not a lot of people even started to watch this. It's like, oh okay, it's girls racing. Yeah. Whatever. Well uh, like,
0: I should have been one of them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's okay. It's okay. Devil Man Crybaby is out on Netflix. We can purge our souls of this evil.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I, uh, Michael and Don, so this is the show is fine. Next, it's fine. I have no further.
1: <laughs>
0: I, mean, I, I was fine with it through like episode six, whenever the twin episode was. Then I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Well, I thought they were actually gonna like, oh, we ha- we have our own
3: identities and we're our own. People, but then they totally take the wrong
0: they are not <laughs> They're not like... intelligent writers for this show. I guess they
3: totally learned the wrong lesson, <laughs> yeah.
2: which is kind of an overarching theme. Because the same goes for the uh, main girls yeah. at the end.
3: I don't even know how that worked. Like, because like the whole like thing that hinged on them like separating was the same boy asking them out, but. I couldn't really ever figure out the logistics of that because, like, if the guy's gonna ask either Yudia or Madia out, like, that's gonna happen once. Like, how does the other twin get asked out? like, I think like, that, I think that was lot,
1: I think it was a lot simpler than than your brain might be going. You know, hey, you want to go out with me next week? Sure. You see them like two days before. So, are we still on for for Saturday? Yeah, but then it not No. <laughs> the these the high caliber team. characters here. Where and they I, know, and I, know, I
0: know, I know, I know, I <laughs> know.
3: But then, like the boy is like, "Which one of you did I fall in love with?" And it's like, "Oh my god,
0: shut up, go away." This is not the boy for you.
3: <laughs> I <sighs> okay. bet, like did you we... know, all the you know, adult girls getting drunk or whatever. That was cool. That was on the the eye flashback.
0: Oh, that one, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. They're drinking beer. I'm like, are they actually drinking beer? Oh, they are. Like, they're all adults. All uh, anime girls yeah, are actually eventually. 500 years old. Do they? Do they? I'm not entirely sure. That's true. do. I don't know. I mean, I would want them to, but... Sakura
0: from Cardcafters is like 30 years old now. Really? <laughs> He's probably not, world. World. He's He's probably not that old, but maybe. Uh, well, where can we find you all on the internet? Camellia?
3: Wild Home on Twitter. P-O-M-M-E.
0: there you go it's not like a not
3: like an ink poem like a like an apple poem
2: poem French uh, you can find me and uh, at dot I uh, co-hosted talking No radio with uh, Jared Nelson and uh, you can also find me in the pages of Otaku USA I think I actually in this issue coming up I do a more in-depth piece on 2 car really yeah <laughs> that's cool uh, and uh... Going to this, so there, I'm gonna look at it
1: I don't fucking understand, Ink. You're better than this. You have tripped yourself into thinking there's ironic enjoyment at something deeper here just because your expectations were so low. Please, Ink. I need you to come back to your fucking senses. The KTO incident think- sure. I can understand, but this I do not understand.
2: You're thinking I tricked myself, but I fully realized what my own head did, and I loved the hell out of it. <laughs> so.
1: But it doesn't change the show. It doesn't transform it. Don't lie to the masses inside of your goddamn print magazine. You will wear this cross. It will bury you in...
2: <laughs> oh, please, if anyone reads me in that magazine, I'll be surprised. Uh... <laughs>
3: I, I should go I should sign up For Otaku USA You should
0: I've tried to do it like, Several times And then Like it just didn't
2: work For some reason I don't know I have a, a review Of uh, Two Heart 2 Coming out on Fandom Post 2 Because I totally Signed up for the Wrong DVD
3: Should I watch that? Did, have you seen The
2: first Two Heart?
1: I may have Ages ago <laughs> It's like, so
2: good But uh Yeah I am not looking forward To watching this
3: <laughs> Well the The original Two Heart And its sequel, Remember My Memories, are fantastic. So, yeah, maybe it'll be better. Two, Two Heart Two is like different characters, though, so I don't, I don't know if it's any good or not. God,
0: Chris, save us!
1: (laughs) What you should want to? to. I am on Twitter (laughs) at Gokufi, or you can yell at me through the Tycoon (laughs) (laughs) Podcast Twitter. What about you, Corey?
0: I'm on Twitter, AdamFashionAK, and the podcast is on Twitter at TaikuPodcast, T-A-I-I-K-U. Uh, I do another podcast with Hello in April called Manga in Your Years. Like it is about old and new manga alike. Uh, what else do I say at the end of the episodes? Our website is TaikuPodcast.com. Uh, thank you all for coming on. I don't remember if anyone was on the movie section, but thank them as well.
5: Uh, <laughs> I'm thank you, hello.
0: So recovery of
5: an MMO, Forever!
1: It's been a long time since I've talked to you. Has the, lo- the last four hours treated you well. I uh,
0: yes. I went to Barnes and Noble. There was a giant line for what for books? books. <laughs> when you think you buy at Barnes and Noble, Chris.
1: Look, you know, I, go dates, Noble, I go to Barnes and Noble. Criterion. Barnes and Noble every week. It could be like <laughs> two days before Christmas, and there ain't nobody at the fucking Barnes and Noble here in town. Like they're they're ghost towns, and I prefer it that way. I. I don't associate these stories with having lines. <laughs>
2: Sorry to take you all the way from Devilman.
1: I got three episodes left, Inc. (laughs) I'm very upset with with this. Wow, you're going through it fast. It's only ten episodes, and it's really, really good. So, yeah, you watch it pretty fast.
2: So why haven't you already watched it all?
1: Because I I had to fucking finish watching some garbage-ass bicycle racing show at the last fucking minute. That's why, Inc. That's Uh, why.
0: So I have my stinger now. Tell us how you really feel. (laughs)
2: Yeah, seriously.
3: (laughs) Oh...